Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TV that most invented our lives. I am your host, a nobody, a tramp, a bum, a hobo, a box card, a jug of wine, and a straight razor, if you get too close to me, Rod, <laughs> and I'm joined by... Man, woman, or Tony Brexton, Jess. <laughs> Jumping the gun, giving away what your album will be. <laughs> well, if you guys, kids just clicked on the episode and didn't look, then you're true fans. Right. <laughs> Anyway, hi, welcome to Media Made. If this is your first time with us, let me explain what it is we do. Um, so we generally have movies, music, and TV episodes. This is a music episode. Um, Jess and I have looked through a list of every music album released in the year 1993, and we've decided which one each of us have heard the most of, or heard the most ever in our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to talk about those two albums today. No, we're not. <laughs> and uh, just like with basically every music album so far... I will be representing the rock and uh, basically the rock portion of the music industry, and Jess will be covering the R&B pop type of the Correct. music. Correct. Um, but this episode, there are a few firsts, and I'll get to that in just a second, but I want to start out with a song from my album and get us rolling. So, here we go. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> no, we're not talking about that. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> Cheer. No. Limp Bizkit has no place in media made. Um, released November 23rd, 1993, a punk rock cover album and the last release of this band's classic period. That album is The Spaghetti Incident by Guns N' Roses. Yeah, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Roses, Gunses. So, a few firsts for Media Made. This is our first three-peat. This is our first time listening to a band for the third time. <laughs> GNR, they did it. Goes to show that they are my favorite band, or one of them. One of my top two. Mm. Also, this is our first cover album. Meaning that none of the songs on this album are were written by Guns N' Roses. Specifically, they were all written by other artists. They're just covering those songs. Right. Written and first performed by other artists. Yes. Um, it's kind of funny, like, um, Whitney had some cover songs on her album. And we've listened to, like, other albums that had, a, like, one or two cover songs on them. But this is the first time the entire album is made up of cover songs. I honestly don't think I've ever heard of an artist doing an entire cover album unless it was a Christmas album. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, most... I feel like most rock bands have at least one. Uh, they want to pay tribute to their... I mean, I get it, um, but, I, I, but I, I'm more understand of, like, I think I've seen more often just songs on an album rather than an entire album. I'm not saying it's bad. I don't know, like... Yet. You know, mo most rock bands, they want to pay tribute to their influences. Like, even Weezer released a cover album a few years ago, and it, like, shot to number one. That's strange. Yeah. <laughs> and... I will say now, this is the first time on the show where the where my album is an album where I don't like every song on the album, or like I've listened to the whole album basically more than once. Mm. Uh, there are a few songs on the Spaghetti Incident that I don't care for, <laughs> um, and they just never. Will we be talking about those ones? No, we're not. Why we're not? Just, we're just gonna ignore those ones. <laughs> Because I sure forgot that I, I, I forgot that, <laughs> that they were even on the album. Exactly. We were looking at the track list and I was like, what are these songs? Yeah, you were like, oh no, we might have to do a whole different album. 
But nope, nope. It is it is GNR's the spaghetti incident. In any case, let's um. I guess I can share a little bit of how this album penetrated my life. Yeah. Uh, this is probably the first time you've heard of any of these songs, right? Yes. And we've already talked about our histories with Guns N' Roses in general in our 1987, 1987 music episode and our 1991 music episode. Correct. So um, I I don't have a whole lot to say other than this is the last Guns N' Roses albums that I like collected, you know? Is it the last one we'll listen to on Media Made? Uh, spoilers. Yes! <laughs> um, so, that wasn't a no, by the way. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I've, by the time I hit senior in high school, I had gotten all of their other albums on my, my iPod, mm. except for this one, and I downloaded it, and it was just like, yeah, this is fine. <laughs> you know, and it's weird, um, there was a Guns N' Roses, be- like, Greatest Hits album, that like was one of my first CDs ever, mm-hmm. and it had two songs from this album on it. And in my opinion, they're two of the weaker songs on the album. That's weird. How come you? How do you have a best of your stuff and then put a cover? It was just like the singles from the album. Like for some reason, the two singles they chose were the two like weakest songs. Mm-hmm. One was a doo-wop song by the Skyliners. Like doo-wop. A- a doo-wop song called Since I Don't Have You, which sounds nothing like all the other punk rock songs on this album. And then um That's because they can have they can have taste outside of punk rock. They the the they did have one Ain't It Fun is a punk song by the Dead Boys, which was also a single from this album, but it's also like really slow and like kind of a dirge. It doesn't have the high mm. octane energy the rest of the album has. So in my opinion, they were the two weakest songs, so that probably made me not want to seek this album out at all. <laughs> and then I listened to these songs and I'm like, yeah, these are pretty good. I like most of the songs in this album better than uh, those two. And like the song I just played to, to break us in, which is um, Hair of the Dog, mm-hmm. which is a Nazareth cover. I hear that song on the radio, even though it wasn't a, co- uh, a single. Like I hear it on the radio every so often. And it's a pretty good song. It's just weird that that song is the one that gets extended radio play even in today, whereas the two singles don't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's just the business. It's the business. And I do think that Hair of the Dog is a better song. Um, but why don't I get into how this album was made? All right. Again, if you, if you want the full history of Guns N' Roses, I recommend listening to our 1987 and 1991 music episodes because I go in more in-depth on the making of the albums that came out those years. But let's talk about Spaghetti Incident. As we talked about in our 1991 music show, Guns N' Roses released Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 to commercial success and warm critical reception. Any memories about Use Your Illusion? We listened to one. We talked about Use Your Illusion one. Yes, I have many good <laughs> memories about um. What year was that? Ninety one. That's Clarissa. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was right next door to hell. That's it. <laughs> Garden of Eden and November Rain. Those were the songs we yeah, talked about. You don't remember what I remember. I remember November Rain was a very sad breakup song. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> most <laughs> most Guns N' Roses songs will at least recognize November Rain as a song that exists. Um, but, Sorry. But within the band itself, interpersonal relationships were beginning to fracture before those albums even released. Uh, they... The at no, this you point, don't say. at this point in time, Guns N' Roses was known as the most dangerous band in the world. They were volatile, and everyone was like, "Yeah, these guys could break up at any time." They're living a wild lifestyle. 
Uh, it seems like they're constantly getting into fights with think? other people and with themselves. Who knows what could happen? Do you think there was like an ongoing pool on like their dates, like amongst other bands? Just like, all right, the pool is. I think it's going to be Friday, the fifteenth of July. It's when Guns N' Roses is no more. When Guns N' Roses is no more. It's. I have a clip from Duff McKagan in an interview from nineteen ninety one, the same year that these albums released. They have no problems with the band. You know, it's amazing because this band is very volatile. You know. And the rumors, you know, about like we could break up at any second is true. But right now, it's not that way at all. <laughs> it's true. We could break up any minute. <laughs> and guess what? They did. They kind of did. The next minute. <laughs> it wasn't any minute. It was a very specific minute. You may say it wasn't like that at all, but it was. <laughs> Maybe he was, he was very much on drugs during that interview, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or inebriated in some way. Mm. Not shooting at all his facilities. No. That's not how those words were supposed to be pronounced. <laughs> he, you, you said them better than he said his words. <laughs> Longtime rhythm guitarist Izzy Stradlin abruptly left the band in November 1991 after a string of controversies during the first leg of the Use Your Illusion World Tour. And we talked a bit about those incidents. Uh, there was a riot started. Several riots. Uh, Guns N' Roses would start their sets late and anger the fans. Uh, there was a show where uh, they were co-headlining with Metallica, and James Hetfield, the singer of Metallica, ended up getting burned by stage pyro and had to end the, their set short, uh, end their set early. And Guns N' Roses, the expectation was, "Hey, you're going to make up for it, right?" They didn't. Axel left early because he was not feeling it. Oh, <laughs> caused a riot. E- yep. And uh, I guess Izzy Stradlin had just gotten sober, and he's just like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And I don't blame him. I'm just saying, this would never happen in K-pop. <laughs> would you? Is there no K-pop band that's, like, ultra-volatile and could break up at any point? No. They're all pure young boys. There are also girls, and also no to both of those. Wow, wow. <laughs> I want to, hey, the K-pop world, I want to see K-pop's Guns N' Roses, meaning like no, absolutely the, the not. most dangerous <laughs> K-pop band in the world. Here's the thing. <laughs> hi, hi, hi. Please, hard stands, do not, do not, do not send us anything about dangerous K-pop people. Don't do it. We don't need those pictures. Don't ask for the K-pop. Don't. <laughs> don't do that. One. Shout out to Two. The, sh- shout out to the K-pop stands. You're appreciated. Yes, you are. All of you. All of you. Two, I do just want to say it's not the reason it wouldn't happen in the K-pop world is because K-pop idols have far too much respect for their fans. They wouldn't do that. Like if they were burned on set and they couldn't go on, that would be something different. The fans some of those would probably guys also would. be like, all right, we got to go. But some of those guys would just keep going. Um, some of those girls would keep going and they would just regardless because their respect is for their fans more than other portions of their industry so i would never be a fan of guns and roses because the disrespect is ridiculous okay uh the band scrambled to find a replacement for stradlin um dave navarro of jane's addiction was considered for the job dave mustaine no (laughs) no uh but the job ultimately went to los angeles bass guitarist gilby clark gilby Gilby was like i think he he just kind of like was with a bunch of like Local bands, you know, kind of like jumped from band to band. And I guess he was good friends with the guitar, or sorry, the drummer, um, Matt Sorum. 
So I'm sure Matt like vouched for him and got him in there. Uh, many of the songs from the spaghetti incident were recorded during the Use Your Illusion sessions. Oh, I thought they were going to be recorded during the spaghetti incident. No, I'll explain what that means <laughs> in a second. Um, yeah, so they were recording Use Your Illusions from like, you know, I assume 88 to 91. And they wrote so much material that they could have done three or even four discs if they had wanted to. Oh. You know, and um, it's funny. I, I I knew I had this like... I knew I had this memory because back in the like back when I was in high school when YouTube was like brand new, I would just like seek out interviews with my favorite bands just to mm-hmm. like you know interesting stuff like that. And I remember watching an interview with Guns N' Roses from the early '90s before the Spaghetti Incident. Um, I just, actually before User Illusion had even come out, and there was they were already talking about doing a punk rock tribute album, right? Mm. And I think that comes down to bassist Dove McKagan. And drummer Matt Sorum. I feel like those two guys were the guys who really liked punk rock music. From what I understand, like Duff McKagan learned to play guitar by like following along the classic punk albums from the early 80s. That's cool. So I I can only assume when they were doing Use Your Illusions, which was just like this big salad bowl of everyone's musical tastes. You know, Axel wanted to do his big sweeping queen type ballads. Slash wanted to do the hard rock stuff. And I'm sure Duff was like, I want to do some punk rock, bro. Right. <laughs> and so they recorded like a bunch of punk rock covers and none of them made it onto the album. Well, so what what do you do? You've got a bunch of songs. Why not either package them all as an EP or write some more cover songs and decide to just release a full length cover album? That's what they did. That makes sense. Yep. So as is tradition with GNR, the project was expanded. The band entered the studio to record more material for an LP release, um, and Gilby Clark re-recorded all of Izzy Stradlin's parts uh, that, that had already been finished during the Use Your Illusion sessions. Oh, yes. because he had gone. Yeah, he's gone. So right, they right, just got right. the new guitarist to redo it. <sighs> the Spaghetti Incident was completed by the time the Use Your Illusion tour wrapped up in July 1993. You know, when people, when you say, like, people record things during tour... I I guess I imagine a tour to be a little more tightly packed, but I guess they have breaks in between. They just go to random studios. Yeah, from what I understand, it's just like whenever they have free time, they would just like rent out a studio in wherever town they were or maybe fly back to L.A. and record. You know, and it's like from what I understand, like this was not really a collaborative album. It was just like the guys would get in the studio, record their part away from the other guys and just, you know. Right, because they were not not good. Friends. Five seconds away from breaking. <laughs> right, but where did the album's title come from? Well, during this entire period that I just talked about, the band was involved in a legal battle with former drummer Stephen Adler, who had been fired in 1990 for drug-related issues. We talked about that in '91. Did I say that it was strange that he was fired for drug-related issues, considering they were all drug-related issues? Yes, and he he clearly was not uh, satisfied with the situation. Mm. Uh, so he, in addition to fighting for his royalties and writing credits, which, hey, if you wrote on songs, you deserve those things. Yeah. You deserve those things. Um, Adler also aimed to show that the drug problems that led to his firing were actually the fault of the band. Which is probably true. Yeah. To that end, he, at one point during the depositions, um, Adler's lawyer asked bassist Duff McKagan to, quote, tell us about the spaghetti incident. 
So here's there's a story behind that. There's an urban legend that says of some kind of food fight that occurred between Axl Rose and Steven Adler involving spaghetti. But the truth is, as McKagan puts it, um, it was a reference to a period in 1989 where the band was temporarily staying at an apartment in Chicago. Adler would store his drugs in the refrigerator next to the band's Italian takeout containers, and his code word for the stash was spaghetti. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the band was so amused by the absurdity of the question during the depositions that they decided to just name the album The Spaghetti Incident. That's fun. Which is like throwing shade on Steven Adler. Do you think we could do a photo shoot where we have a spaghetti incident, except we're just throwing spaghetti at each other? Not in our house. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, no. Thought about it for a second. No, I don't. Want, I don't want to have any. I don't want spaghetti anywhere near me. It doesn't have to be coated in any sauce. It'll just be spaghetti, cooked spaghetti. I'm not buying spaghetti to cook it and then throw it. I'll buy it. No. <laughs> I'll borrow it from the neighbors. How about some penne instead of spaghetti? Absolutely not. Some rigatoni. <laughs> okay, can we do this though? No. I mean, we don't have to cook it. No. That is the spaghetti incident. Okay, before I. Before we jump into the songs, l- let me start by saying this. Um, at this point forward, for the next few years, I like my albums will more or less still represent hard rock and heavy metal. However, I don't think they're as representative of like the popular rock and metal of the the time. Right. And I think that just that comes down to personal taste. It is what it is. Right. So. Because I still want to kind of like compare our albums to what was also popular at the time, I'm going to try my best to also give you, dear listener, an idea of where rock music was at the time of the album's release, right? So, 1993, two little genres that nobody liked (laughs) entered the mainstream and hit it big. Do you know what those two albums were? Or two genres were? No, what were they? Heavy metal. Okay. So, 91, Metallica released their self-titled album it was Mm. a huge hit won grammys was on the charts right um and i think heavy metal went from being like a niche like i'm talking like like real thrash metal right Right. like like the hard stuff went from like that was now popular as opposed to the glam metal hair metal of the 80s i think by 93 young people were like hey let's do away with all the 80s stuff that's old Mm-hmm. That's that's old hat. Let's get some new stuff in here, right? Let's get a new hat. The other genre that had just like broke through in the mainstream was grunge. Yeah, I guess people didn't like it. 91, I'm very disappointed that we didn't talk about a grunge album because 91 was the best year for grunge ever. Those so with that in mind, like I think the 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 what the like rock audience wanted at this time was not the frills of the 80s Hard rock, heavy metal stuff, right? They, like, I, I was listening to, like, different interviews and stuff. Like, apparently, like, people didn't want to hear synthesizers anymore, right? They didn't want to see Pretty Boys. They wanted music to be stripped down, edgy, contemporary, right? Like, right. Gar- garage rock was, like, really starting to become popular, right? Mm. Your, your 90s alternative rock. Right. So, I think... Guns N' Roses made the right decision to do a more stripped-down, punk-focused fo- punk album as opposed to what they were doing with November Rain mm-hmm. and all these big, sweeping, you know, musical numbers with synthesizers and right, they orchestras. Right, they to get some root. Okay. Yeah. So they, I don't know if they did it on purpose because they were following the trends at the time. I just think they were 
fortuitous in doing so. Okay. But that's where rock and everything was at the time. Mm. Let's jump into the the album. Okay. So the first song we're going to talk about is called New Rose. And it goes a little something like this. Is she really going out with him? Is she really going out with him? She's not. Yeah. All right. So, New Rose was originally recorded by British punk rock band The Damned for their 1977 album, Damned, Damned, Damned. <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about The Damned in a second, but um, is there any general impressions about uh, this song, the sound? The sound is much different. The sound is more re- reminiscent of stuff that I would listen to um, in high school. Not that you guys would will be seeing that at all. Um <laughs> It definitely has a more, it definitely, like as soon as you said British, I was like, oh yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely hear the influences of that immediately and even just how the drum is tracking. Britain was the birthplace of punk. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, more preferable to any other, not any other, but most of the other Guns N' Roses songs that I've been, I've been pleased to listen to. You like it better? Yes. Wow. Okay. No, that's cool. What was that face? I don't know. Young sir. No, no, no. I, that, <laughs> this is more your speed, I guess. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I want to. I, I went and collected the original songs for all of these covers, right? Mm. Just to see what you know if we could spot any differences, or just like to give I to give our audience the idea of what these songs sounded like by their original artists. So here's what the damned sounded like. Begins with the same quip. Is she really going out with him? Is she really going out with him? Much more, oh yeah, dirty and oh yeah. I prefer this. I prefer this. like the the other one was yeah. good, but like this makes me think of that album that I have over there in vinyl. Um, it's just this. This is a sound I can like. <laughs> it's 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 stripped down, dirty. Like the the. It's not like I don't know sloppy, but that's like the 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 punk aesthetic. Mm. That's that's fair. You're sitting there, it's like stripped uh, down, un- dirty, sloppy. I like all these words. Unrefined. Yes. And even the guys are just like slurring through their words and just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Damned were the first punk rock band from the UK to release a single, which was this song. New Rose. They were the first punk band to release an album and the first punk band to tour in the United States. So, a band of first so like um this this is the first this is not the first song on the album. It's the second one, but it's the first like punk song featured on the Spaghetti Incident. Mm-hmm. Um right. so I think it's I think it was a, a conscious choice to start your album with New Rose, which is what is considered the first like punk rock the real first punk rock song first Mm. punk rock hit right right so if you're gonna basically release a tribute album to punk rock why not start with the first hit yeah if that makes sense i went and like did a little bit of research about the songs themselves and like the um 
the importance and significance of these songs, right? Um, in 1992, music critic Dave Thompson said, New Rose is today rightly revered as one of the greatest songs to emerge from 1970s Britain. It was the absolute re- redefinition of all that rock and roll held dear, a stunning return to basics which threw away every last iota of expertise and experience to the winds. The band's detractors thought they were smart when they called the Dam's record primitive. They were way off the mark. The Dam's fans saw it as primeval. <laughs> and I think that's like the, the punk uh, disposition. It's like, we don't care about all of this like rock music pretension. Yeah. It's like, we just want to play fast. Like, if it sounds ugly or bad who cares like it's all for us it's all about energy yeah so short too yeah um punk rock songs are very short yes uh makes me think of that one scene from scott pilgrim versus the world this is our new song (laughs) thank you (laughs) crashing the boys this song's called i'm sad (laughs) sad (laughs) um i think this is so such an issue this is the reason that i don't listen to like a lot of actual punk because it's my it's so weird right because i am not in this relationship the musical one right the one who usually chooses uh musicality over lyrics yeah but i prefer punk musicality and lyrics i'm just like i don't why 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 was this what you decided to say over the typically there are like obviously exceptions to the rule but for the most part even like when i was reading through the lyrics of new rose i was like i only have one note for this whole song and the note is um, what in the Wattpad? <laughs> what in the Wattpad? <laughs> because there's a line that I was just like, okay, okay, <laughs> that seems like a Wattpad pad line. And it's just like, eh. But okay. I enjoy the musical musicality of it. So. Yeah. For you, so are you saying like you just like music that just plays it straight, like no frills? It's just like the music serves its purpose and that's it. That might be, that might be my, profe- that might be my preference. Mm. <laughs> I, I can respect that, I guess. I guess. And you know me. I, I, I enjoy bu- musical virtuosity. Music, for me, is always the plate. And the lyrics are, are the-, the food that's on the plate. Okay. Whereas punk is just a really pretty teapot. <laughs> and I don't really care what hot water went in it to make tea, but look at this teapot. I f- no, I'm like, the, for punk, the, if you're saying the music is the plate... <laughs> Punk music is a paper plate, but it's like the best food ever on top. Maybe. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> this analogy is weird. <laughs> Let's just say it's a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> no. <coughs> I have a few notes about the lyrics. Um, the first thing. So both of both of the versions, the, the damned version and the Guns N' Roses version begin with the line. Is she really going out with him? Is she really going out with him? That is a. Reference to a song from 60s pop girl band The Shangri-Las. It is a song called Leader of the Pack. And it goes a little something like this. Is she really going out with him? Well, there she is. Let's ask her. Betty, is that Jimmy's ring you're wearing? Mm-hmm. Gee, it must be great riding with him. Is he picking you up after school today? Mm-mm. By the way, where'd you meet him? That is some 60s, like, top of the pops right there. Wow. I want to listen to this whole song. Leader of the pack. So the question is, why would the damned choose to pay homage to that song in particular? I don't know 
myself. Like, it seemed very strange at the time. Is a member of the band called Jimmy? No. So, uh, I had I, I did a little bit of research and I found an interesting interpretation by a user on the website Genius, right? The, the website that does lyrics. Right. So anonymous Genius user said, "Quote: Punk rock, despite being loud and abrasive, was a conscious attempt to revive the traditional pop song structure of the early '60s after years of '70s prog rock. It is a rejection of prog rock pretension in favor of." the pop music that came before that was like simple and to the point. And the conjuring of the Shangri-Las was what the damned deemed the proper way to announce that idea. So I was right. like, that's okay. I can understand that. Like this is our thesis. Yes. Here's our thesis. statement. Exactly. And I think guns and roses by starting their album off with the damned are doing the exact same thing. It's like, here's our thesis. We want to basically pay honor the punk rock godfathers that like ushered in our brand of rock and roll. Because remember, in 1987, Guns N' Roses were like state of the art. No one was making grungy, uh, uh, sleazy, hard rock anymore. It was all you know, glam rock, uh, hair rock, hair metal. Right, 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 right. right. Guns N' Roses were like a, a breath of fresh air. So, in in many ways, I guess what the Damned did for. British rock in the 70s is what Guns N' Roses was doing in the late 80s, early 90s. And I can understand why they would want to honor the damned yeah. in that way. So I guess to listen to a bit more of the Guns N' Roses version of New Rose. So um, this song is one of several songs sung by bassist Duff McKagan. Like, that is not Axl Rose's voice. Oh. Oh, well, okay, that makes sense. It doesn't necessarily sound like him. Yeah, he's got a deeper voice. He's more of like a California accent kind of thing. Um, I, I think because Duff McKagan was the punk fan in the band, he was the guy who kind of took over. Um, a few other things about the lyrics that I noticed. Um... I, I wanted to know what the heck it meant when it says, I, I've got a new rose, I've got it good, right? That's like the chorus. I got a new rose, I got it good. I actually, when I, when, I used to, when I first heard this song, I thought he was saying, I got a new rose, I've got a gun. No, I've, got, I, I've got a new rose, I got it good. Yeah. Yeah. But I always thought, I got, I got a new rose, I got a gun. Because <laughs> they're guns and roses. And I was like, is that where the name of the band came from? No. He's <laughs> no. saying, I've got a new rose, I've got it good. And I was like, what the heck is a new rose, right? And I, when you listen and read the lyrics, it kind of sounds like he's saying, he's talking about a, like, a, like a new girlfriend. Yes. I've got a new girlfriend in town, right? Yes. And, it, and I, it, on surface level, that's what you think. I was looking at like an interview with the guy who wrote this song from The Damned, and he said, I was writing about punk rock music. He was like, I've got a new rose. It's like, I've got a new, fresh version of music that I enjoy. Like, a new lifestyle that I've, like, been embraced in. For him, kicking off this new sub, like subculture was like getting a new girlfriend. This is why I don't like punk lyrics. So he says, <laughs> I never thought this could happen to me. This is strange. Why should it be? I don't deserve somebody this great. I better go or it'll be too late. He's not talking about a girl. He's talking about a punk. A guy. Oh, punk. A punk. A punk. 
Sure. I mean, you know, writer's intent is everything it wants to be, but... Yeah. <laughs> if you want to think of it as, as a new girlfriend, that's fine, too. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not a fan of the lyrics. Oh, no, I think the lyrics are weird, uh, especially with the context of them being like, it's about punk. Is she punk really going out with him? Yes, I'm a punk. Um, it's fine. I think the first verse can feel like it talking about music. I've got a feeling inside me it's kind of strange, like a storm sea. I don't know why. I don't know why these kinds of things got to be fine. But the new rose in town sounds like a gal. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, when asked about the Guns N' Roses cover, damned guitarist Captain Sensible said that he had not heard it because he did not listen to music released after 1980. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> funny. Captain Sensible, keep it sensible. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's just, that's a stance to have, isn't it? That is. I don't listen to music after 1980, man. I mean... He'll never listen to our our, our podcast. We no. haven't got. We only listen to stuff after nineteen. He's never heard Limp Biscuit, Rebecca Black's Friday. Oh, dude, you should listen to Rebecca Black's Friday though. <laughs> Just someone send that to him. If he if he's not listening to me from nineteen eighty, I doubt he's on Twitter. But <laughs> yeah, if funny. you can get a, if you can track down Captain Sensible, have him listen to some me music from <laughs> today. Right. Or actually, like Rebecca Black's current stuff is real good. I was gonna say all it would do is like reinforces his. his his stance on not listening to music past 1980. Uh, it's like, this is what music has become. No, it's a I, meme. What is a meme? Anyway, let's move on. Uh, next song that we're going to talk about is called Down on the Farm. So, you listen to this, right? Yes, when we listen to it. You haven't, you haven't, you, you just looked at the lyrics in preparation, yes. you didn't listen? Listen to his voice. Why is he doing that? That is that's Axel Rose. That's Axel saying. What is this that time. affectation? He he's doing a British accent because this is a song that was originally released by a British band. No, <laughs> I don't know. Like that that that's why I chose this song is that's because he cho- he chose to do that, <laughs> and I wanted to get your take on it. Uh, I feel like he wasn't doing it to be mocking because this is a tribute album. I don't know. So I don't know if Axel's a, as big a fan of punk as Duff McKagan is. So this could be him mocking the the idea of having to do a punk tribute album. I don't know. That's me. I'm editorializing. I'm just throwing ideas around. But this this sounds disrespectful to the original artist. Yeah. I think, like, so it's weird, right? Like, no, man. Because I feel like there's some songs that I sing that are by British artists and in the places that you can hear their accent, I do affect it, but I'm not doing that, right? But he's like really laying it on. Feel feel just like a vegetable. Yeah, that's because I was like, can you, you can do that. All I need is some inspiration before I do someone harm. Yeah. I don't know. You just harm rather, harm, (laughs) ham, (laughs) 
I mean, let's listen to what the original guys sound like. And these guys, they have very thick British accents because they are British men. Uh, let me get that started. I mean, I like the guitar yeah. better here. It's, it's still that, like, ultra-distorted, like... It's just British dudes screaming. Um, so, uh, down on the farm was originally written and recorded by the British punk rock band UK Subs uh, for their 1982 album Endangered Species. Uh, The UK Subs were one of the first bands in the UK's street punk scene, which was an urban, working-class-based subgenre of punk rock seen as a rebellion against the uh, perceived artistic pretensions of the first wave of British punk. So, for these guys, even punk was too pretentious. (laughs) There's always hipsters. These are the like the punkiest punks. Oh dear. You guys are woke in the factory. We're going. We're... I'm so woke. I'm asleep again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Af- I can't afford a good guitar. I can't afford new strings. So we're just gonna play with what we got. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. That's it. I'm gonna put on my Irish cap and get out there. <laughs> That's what this reminds me of. Well. <laughs> yeah. So. That is the UK subs, and as far as like lyrics go, let me get let me get the uh, the GNR's uh, version going again. But um, anything that stuck out to you about the lyrics involving down on the farm? Honestly, I read the whole thing and then went back up to the top. I was trying to figure out is this like some sort of rich person's R and R trip? That's that's what it feels like. It's like I needed to go somewhere so I could be inspired, and so now I'm on a farm, but I'm real bored now because there's nothing to do on this farm. It's just the son-in-law. Oh no! <laughs> I don't, I don't want to think about that movie. Anymore. A lot of farms in 1993. A lot of farm life. Uh, now, apparently, one of the, at least one member of the UK subs legit grew up on a farm. Oh, okay. like and, and they, from what I understand, they they did retreats to a like farm based studio and recorded music on the farm. So oh. down on the farm makes sense. These are these are farm boys. At least one farm boy. At least boy. one farm boy, uh, but, you know, they're all lower class guys. Right. Um, and that's... But to me, it's like, this song is all about angst, right? About being, like, bored on the farm angst? Yeah, like, it's like, um, he, he, you know, all the lyrics are just like, this life sucks on the farm, there's nothing to do, no fun. Um, some lyrics that I uh, picked out were... They told me to get healthy. They told me to get some sun, but boredom eats me like cancer down here on the farm. It's like all about ennui, boredom, angst, frustration, <laughs> which is a very punk rock feeling. I feel like that is a punk rock tradition is to write angry, angsty songs about how bored you are with life. Because boredom makes you angry. I like to think about um, Longview by Green Day. Which is a, which is an equally angry song about being bored at home, mm-hmm. having nothing to do. I take your word for it. I don't yeah. think I've heard that song. Um, 
Yeah, I I don't think that's out of place. I definitely think that, like, you know, it's a it's a song about being bored on a farm that you chose to go to. <laughs> Did you think any like for could you identify any reasons why you think Guns N' Roses would want to cover this song? Lyrically, do you think it why do you think it appealed to at least one of the members of this band? Uh, I think that it, especially like with you saying like, oh, I think they went to it. The original band like went to a, a farm to like record some of these things. Maybe they feel like that in their own recording, you know, like because they are like never really together when they're recording and yada yada yada. So maybe it's just kind of the like I need some inspiration, but there's no like they don't work together. So I don't know. Maybe it just spoke to how they were currently recording stuff because they were five seconds from destruction. They felt equally as powerless in their situation 30 seconds to kill restrained constrained yeah so maybe maybe that um maybe do you think that uh dunn was the only one who chose different these songs to play i don't uh, know if uh what's his face is mocking all of them which is just a guess not saying that he is my my only guess is if duff mckagan decided to cover this song that was his decision then he probably saw it as like emblematic of punk rock in general, especially that, right. you know, that scene where it's like, it is a very punk rock attitude to have. Right. Um, like angry. While doing the thing that you like, yeah. you're still bored and angry. Yeah. And these guys, they were also bored and angry young people, I assume, you know, right. living in LA in the hot sun and just like, you know, for them being down on the farm was like, you know, being in Skid Row or something. Right. For like LA type. Yeah. Yeah. Driving down to like, Oh no. Like, Pasadena. <laughs> Life sucks in Pasadena. Well, they're Encino men. Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, I could get that. Like, maybe it would connect with them that way, or like what they do in their downtime when they're not touring. Because I, I, it's you know what, it might even just be like about like when they chose it, like when they are touring. Like, if you're not friends with the people you spend a bunch of time with, and you're just alone while on the road and probably bored and doing a lot of drugs that's why they're so like that's why they do so so much drugs is because they're bored yeah that's why they seek out this fast and loose lifestyles because they got there's nothing else for them but another thing axel rose is also a farm boy he grew up in indiana you know he He is so maybe he maybe this was his decision and he wasn't mocking the uk subs yeah uh, he also is, maybe no, that is not his like UK voice. That's his board voice. It's possible. I don't know, but um, the song also ends with a bit of poking fun at the farm idea. Right. Starts like this. Are you born in a fucking barn or what? <laughs> bah. Bah. That was a very good sheep sound. At the ve- <laughs> at the very least, at least somebody's having a little bit of fun in the studio, <laughs> right? Right. All right. The next song is kind of two songs stitched together. It, it is the song Buick McCain. Okay. Parentheses. Big dumb sex. Okay. Before I start playing these songs, let me give a fair warning. These this song is not safe for work, so uh, you probably shouldn't be playing this. Without headphones on at work. Just letting you know right now. We, you know who we're talking to. <laughs> Kid, don't be sharing this with your coworkers like this. <laughs> yeah, not safe for work. You have been warned. Okay, Buick McCain, Big Dumb Sex is two songs together. It's, it's kind of a medley of two different songs. And this is kind of a change in direction for... It, it is a... I think 
these this song occupies a different subgenre of rock than this punk stuff that we've been talking about. Um, let me go ahead and get that started. This song is so freaking good, though. Like. That riff is like powerful and groovy. Alright, so Buick McCain, ju- just that part. Buick McCain was originally written and recorded by glam rock band T Rex for their 1972 album, The Slider, which is like held up as one of the most important glam rock albums of all time, mm. right? Most respected. Cool. Um, this was a slash pick. So I could I, see that. So I think what happened was they had a collection of punk rock covers that they had done, right? And that was more maybe a Duff, Matt Sorum project, right? Mm. With the punk stuff. And then when they decided to enter the studio and release some more covers, maybe the other guys got involved and said, hey, I'd like to record this song. You know, th- this... This band influenced me. I would like to pay tribute to them, right? So Slash, um, he was influenced by a lot of like more traditional hard rock acts of the 70s, right? Like mm. in blues rock, right? There's a reason Slash is, all his guitar solos are like super bluesy. It's because he grew up on blues rock. So right. T-Rex, Led Zeppelin, uh, um, yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> Couldn't help you there, buddy. Anyway, so, <laughs> so he... When he went in and entered the studio, I guess like Axel was just like, "Hey, you you like Buick? Like you like that Buick McCain song? Why don't you record it for the album?" And he's like, "All right." So they recorded Buick McCain and and Slash sang on it. Nice. This is Slash singing. It's 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 co it's co yeah, 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 it's yeah. A- Axel and Slash singing together. Yeah, he's together. doing some harmony under. It's like one of the first. And only songs where Slash sings on a Guns N' Roses album song. Yeah. It's hard not to sing in a song that you really like, right? right? I could imagine that. Um, so as before, let me go ahead and play the original, which it, it's kind of funny. It's like I both, I like some elements better with Guns N' Roses version and I like other elements better with the T-Rex version. But let me go ahead and get that started. <laughs> That's way slower. It's not as full. Like, musically, like, I feel like Slash's guitar is just like, there's like a fullness in the production. It like fills your ears up. And it's like super powerful. But at the same time, I think T-Rex's version here has so much sleaze and like like swagger. Mm. I don't know, like this song is so cool to listen to. I never I so it's kind of cool. I hadn't listened to any of these songs, like the originals. Right. Until I started doing research for this show. And I'm like, dude, these songs are awesome. <laughs> Especially these T-Rex album and I like downloaded the album and was just like Groove into it. Oh, nice. This is so a groovy if, song. If we go back in time, is this going to be your album for I don't, I don't know. 72. I, I like a lot of music from the 70s. That's fair. No, th- this is an excellent album. Mm. Uh, T-Rex, uh, The Slider is what it's called. But glam rock, right? Wow. So 
the 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 subgenre of glam rock is most report the emergence of glam rock as the March 1971 appearance of T-Rex on BBC's music show Top of the Pops where he wore glitter and satins uh, for the performance. <laughs> so glam rock is like a very performative I don't know, it was like larger than life version of rock and roll, right? And that was like from the 70s. Mm. So David Bowie, um, T-Rex, Say, uh, Slade, um, okay. Sweet. Sweet? Um, that is, it, it is, it, it's a very particular style of rock and roll. And I guess like that's something that Slash identified with, right? Um, and, and, and you know, it's actually funny. Um, another glam rock dude was Iggy Pop of the Stooges. He had his foot in both. <laughs> punk rock and glam rock and uh gnr they recorded a cover of a stooges song for this album oh yeah they 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 recorded a cover of raw power so that's another raw glam rock power. influence there but um so i i guess as they started to like fill the spaghetti incident out they wanted to like basically sample a bunch of different genres of music and mm. um i think it's cool that they also wanted to shout out glam rock because it is Cool. Um, any anything that stick out to you about um, the Buick McCain portion of this song lyrically? When I was going back through the lyrics because I wasn't listening to them and I was just like reading the lyrics, I like got to this one. I was like, "Are you sure we already listened to this album?" Because I don't remember any of these. But I will also say my dys- dyslexia is not letting me read Buick McCain. Every time I read it, I read Brick Machne. <laughs> it, it's it's written weird. It. It is because that's not you would think Mac would have McCain would have a C in it, yeah, right? Like Mac Kane, but no, M A K A N E, yeah, so McCain. So I keep reading Brick instead of Buick and then Machne. <laughs> anyway, um, the only line that I was there's a line in it that goes, You're, you're just a sexual goddess, and I. <laughs> Wasn't sure how I felt about it. Pretty um, straightforward, isn't it? My brain was like, I think I'm offended. What do you mean? It's a sire, sire. You're just a sexual goddess. I'm like, uh, just? <laughs> I am <laughs> also. The only lyric that I clicked at was slider, slider. You're a sexual glider. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I was like, you know, hey, this song, like I said, it's all sleazy, right? Like yes. the the lyrics are so, I don't know, like they're not they're not like profanely filthy, but like something about them, just the way they articulate their like their sexual desire for this woman. I'm like, man, this is like really filthy in a in a weird, like yeah, perverse like a uh, figurative way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something. But also asking, like, Buick McCain, will you be my girl? Rainy Lady, King of Rock, help me rock and roll. See my soul, be my girl. Your sexual goddess, be my girl. I said, I just want to know, 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 know you. Know you. Well, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop right there. Stop right there. We'll talk about that in a second. That's the end of the song. Um, so just like where you can kind of see the, 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 tr- the punk tradition of, like, I don't know, like working class angst, uh, oppressive boredom, and like even even just like excitement and and energy, right? Like mm. that's what Guns N' Roses injected into the rock landscape in the late '80s, right? Right. They also injected the sleazy sex of like 
their lifestyle into their music in the late 80s as well, right? We talked about uh, the song Rocket Queen with their debut album, right. which was, like, super sexy. Mm. Um, and so, in a way, I think, <clears throat> like, just like T-Rex being super sleazy in the 70s, Guns N' Roses wanted to also be super sleazy in the 80s and 90s. And I think that's one of the reasons why they decided to go with this song. I understand that logic. I can follow that. Yeah. And Buick McCain, apparently, th- this was a note on uh, Genius. Apparently, the, the songwriter of T-Rex just liked to name name girls in his songs after cars. <laughs> I, I, I didn't read too much into that. He's a car guy, I guess. He was a car guy and a girl guy. And he named all his girls cars. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, this is two songs stitched together. The second half of, the, of this cover is a cover of the Soundgarden song. Big Dumb Sex. And before I play the Guns N' Roses version, let me get the the original started. Shout out to Frown Guard. (laughs) I didn't realize you heard me. All right, so Big Dumb Sex was originally written and recorded by grunge rock band Soundgarden for their 1989 album Louder Than Love. Soundgarden was one of the pioneers of grunge rock in the late 80s, early 90s, okay? Okay. Um, I would consider the big four to be Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and Stone Temple Pilots. There are other ones in there. I I apologize if I didn't um, name uh, an important grunge but these are the Act. ones in mind. The, these, to me, these are like the big four. Um, and I am really glad that Guns N' Roses decided to cover a grunge song because not on, like they're not only paying tribute to their influences, they're also paying tribute to just the bands that they... They're like contemporaries. They're contemporaries that are like giving off the same energy um, that they were, right? Right. And, and, and in a way... Like, I think Soundgarden got their start at the exact same time that um, Guns N' Roses did. Mm. Like, like Soundgarden, it took them a little longer to break into the mainstream, but they were all making music around the same time. Right. All getting started. Um, And because there's not a a whole lot, there's not going to be another place where I can really talk about it. Grunge music is basically, people called it the Seattle sound, right? It's... A bunch of bands that all came up in Seattle and Washington um, in the late 80s, early 90s, and most of them were associated with the music label Sub Pop. Some people called it the Sub Pop sound. Okay. Um, all of these bands ended up, you know, it was just kind. Of, it was like just like punk rock of the 1970s. It was stripped down, almost like garage rock, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just like. I don't know. For some reason, it super appealed to Gen Xers <laughs> in the late '80s, early '90s, and by the early to mid '90s, it was one of the biggest rock genres ever at the time. Right. So um, it would make sense that you know, if if I, I don't know, I think it's cool that Guns N' Roses would want to shout out a band like Soundgarden. Right. 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 That makes sense, especially considering they like weren't necessarily the best at promoting each other, that they were like, no, 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 these yeah. this, this group does. I was going to say this kid. They're like the same age. Uh, Soundgarden actually opened for Guns N' Roses for parts of the Use Your Illusion tour. Oh. I assume 
I, I can only assume that this cover of Big Dumb Sex came from their touring together. Yeah. Um, and Guns N' Roses personally selected Soundgarden for its opening act. Like, that All right. A, that was pretty cool. Throwing throw a... I will say I really like going to concerts where the opening acts are very different. I went to, um, years ago, a uh, Florence and the Machine concert, and the opening was uh, the... Oh, I can't remember their names. I even though I enjoyed them more, they were the uh, Mac 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 somethings. Can't remember. And the weekend, and it was the weekend before he was like big. Uh, and those are both of those sounds were very different from Florence and the Machine. And I liked that you like you know like artists that are more established and set up. Like artists have different tastes than just the stuff that they're playing, obviously, which is why this is a whole tribute of something that they don't this band doesn't typically play and just to like say like this band is doing this good in this genre and try to g- give them a leg up give, give them a cool. platform yeah yeah um and if, and also like guns N' roses also offered grunge band nirvana a chance to be a supporting act for their concert um but Did they turn it down sounds kurt, like <laughs> kurt cobain declined well uh, you know kurt he had his own agenda his own things going on um i think it's fine but i, I it, so it sounds to me like Axl Rose was like down with the Seattle sound and wanted to give them a platform, which I was like, cool. Yeah. You feel like it was just an Axl decision? I don't know. I mean, that story made it seem that way. But, mm. um, you know, it's funny. Like, I think the the historically people look back and say grunge killed metal because <laughs> <laughs> it kind of did. Like grunge hit the mainstream and overtook everything in, in the rock. It was like, like rust sphere. to metal. But it but yeah, and that and that gave way to '90s alternative. Like alternative rock was the most popular rock genre in the 1990s, right? Heavy metal, you know, your traditional like arena rock, pop metal, that kind of stuff was just like, nope, get it out of here. The <laughs> Goodbye, kids, we're done with the it. kids, the kids, I want to hear garage rock. They want to hear angst and attitude. Yeah, they do. Um, so to me, it's like, no, no. Guns N' Roses didn't see grunge as a uh, as a threat to their popularity. They wanted to help them. It was like, you know, a mutual thing. I was like, that's cool. But let's get back to the song itself. Let me play you the chorus to Soundgarden's Big Dumb Sex. Okay. What do you want to do? is five f's (laughs) yeah i remember so i i I downloaded this song after hearing the guns and roses version of big dumb sex Mm -hmm. and i had i was a sophomore in high school i had never heard that many (laughs) f-bombs in a song before it was like mesmerizing. I like had to show all my friends. I was like, guys, this song has like 40 F-bombs in it. <laughs> what did your mother say? She didn't know. It was oh, a novelty. Tell her. It was a novelty. <laughs> so I looked it up. Um, Soundgun wrote this song as a parody of glam metal bands at the time who often metaphorically addressed their sexual intercourse in their lyrics. But, <laughs> <laughs> but just wasn't more Soundgarden was just like... Let's just write a matter of fact song. Like I mean, it's fair. like 
all of these glam metal bands, they're dancing around what they really want to do. It is, what do you want to do? I want to... There's a whole song about going to the gas station, and it's not about the gas station. Right. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. And then, you know, four years later, GNR decides, hey, we're going to cover for the ending to Buick McCain Big Dumb Sex. We're just going to have Big Dumb Sex close <laughs> it out. And it sounds a little something like this. So, like, this part right here, you can still hear the tail end of Buick McCain, the original. Like, the riff and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, for the last minute or so of this song, it's just the chorus from Big Dumb Sex. Yep. (laughs) And, like, I don't know, it seems to me they were just like... Hey, we got, like, the end of Buick McCain, while the song is really cool, the end's kind of (laughs) boring. Like, hey, Slash, can you just kind of, like, just, I don't know, solo it out for a little while? And he's soloing it out, and then, like, I don't, I I really don't know. I was not in the studio at the time, (laughs) but it seems like they just kind of, like... Fortuitously. Yeah, they, somehow, Big Dub Sex just got stitched into there. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, this is fine. (laughs) So, I don't know. It's fun. I, I really just wanted to focus on that song because <laughs> I wanted to give. I wanted to shine a spotlight on grunge because I had no other opportunity to do it. Well, whose fault is that? Young Rodney. <laughs> That's who. Young Sheldon. And the last of us. The last song we're going to look at is another twofer. It's two songs stitched together. It is "I Don't Care About You" slash "Look at Your Game Girl." Um, now we're just going to focus on "I Don't Care About You" for a quick second. Let me get that started. I don't care about you that's different I don't care about you! This is the original song? No, this is the Guns N' Roses version. What? Who is this singing? That, that's Axel. Like, that's Axel screaming. He's putting on his deep voice. Okay. How uh, old is he at this point in 93? I don't know. Maybe, maybe 30? Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so I Don't Care About You was originally written and recorded by LA-based punk rock band Fear from their 1982 album The Record. Okay? Now, Fear was one of the pioneers of, like, America's punk rock movement right Mm -hmm. los angeles also had its own punk rock scene in the early 80s and fear was like the most abrasive and angry of them all (laughs) (laughs) let me go ahead and get uh let me let me play the fear version for a quick second just to show you what that sounds like (laughs) 
they, they still just curse up the audience. Uh, I <laughs> that, mean, that didn't punk. change. Yeah, that punk. Okay, so Fear is credited for helping shape the sound and style of California's hardcore punk, right? It's not just punk, it's hardcore punk. Hardcore California punk, but they were from South Philly. Well, he, Born I mean, and he, raised. I, I, he says he, he's been to South Philadelphia. Is that uh, what he said? I'm from South Philadelphia up on Avenue C. No. I've seen empty hands and that was waiting to freeze. Okay. Well, maybe he grew up in Philadelphia and is making a name for himself in California. Like everyone, do. Everyone wants to go to California. Everybody <laughs> hey, hey guys, wants to go to stop California. Stop coming to California. Stop. <laughs> stop, ra- stop raising the housing prices. Please. <laughs> okay. Um, all music said that Fear had, quote, a fairly unique perspective. They seemingly embraced punk as an efficient way to piss everyone off around them. Yeah. And there's no arguing that they achieved their goals with flying colors on their first and best album, The Record. <laughs> um, in fact, like Duff McKagan in 2016 said Fear's debut album The Record still gets played backstage before I go on. So he uses this album to pump Pump him up. up. Mm. And I was like, that's pretty cool. There is a documentary, and I have mentioned other parts of this, like other, yeah, other parts of this documentary before for the show. Right. Um, The Decline of Western Civilization. The Decline of Western Civilization Part 1 is a spotlight on the early 80s Los Angeles punk scene. And fear is featured prominently. Um, that's hey, I, I've I've covered the trifecta. I've mentioned <laughs> all three parts of <laughs> the decline of Western civilization. Go watch it. It, it, it. If last time I checked, it is on YouTube, and it's a pre, if you like punk rock music, it's a pretty cool documentary because it shows early performances by these guys and like what they what it was like living in L.A. at the time. Like Black Flag was featured, and they just lived in an abandoned church. Wow. They slept in like a cupboard. <laughs> but yeah, fear were wild. Yeah. And um, also he says that if you are interested in punk, even if you're not, I'm not interested in punk, uh, but I would sit on the couch while he was watching it. And some of the things, like some of the interviews, not just the like bands, but like people who like fans of the scene were interviewed too. And you're just like, okay, this yeah. was a time. Right. And so the 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 fear performances were wild. Like he's cutting himself open on stage with glass and like yeah, I love throwing things at people and like just starting fights in the in the in the audience. And I was just like, man, this is punk. Oh man, that's punk. <laughs> so obviously, if you're gonna, especially like Guns N' Roses, they're an LA based band. If you're gonna if you're gonna spotlight punk, especially Los Angeles punk, you gotta spotlight fear. Right. So obviously. Yeah, let me get let me play a little bit more of GNR's version. I don't care about you. Anything lyrically that jumped out to you regarding this song? It, yeah. It's kind of a stream of consciousness, just like it's like a hundred different stories about what it's like to live wherever it was that they lived and all the crazy things they've seen. Yeah, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, the world sucks and I've seen people uh, suffering in it, but I don't care. That's the song. He said... I've seen men rolling drunks, bodies in the street. I saw a man that was sleeping in puke and a man with no legs crawling down Fifth Street trying to get something to eat. <laughs> and I don't like, care about you. And I'm like, jeez. 
I've seen some stuff, man. That that's the whole song. That, that's the whole song. It's just like eh, it's two the minutes. world sucks, and I'm not going to do anything to help it. And I've seen the lessons. worst parts of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so punk. I've seen the worst parts of the world, and I hate it. And I hate you. <laughs> yep. And it's just two minutes of that. <laughs> yep. So what? I don't understand. What are the two different songs that okay. are happening in here? Let me go ahead and describe that. Okay. Okay. This is not this is not a thing unique to the '90s, but I think a lot of bands in the '90s took advantage of it. Not just bands; just every musical act took advantage of this. When you bought a CD or a cassette tape, there were things called hidden tracks. Right. I, I, I'm sure you can even think of a few hidden tracks. Yes. Um, uh, Green Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. Green Day had one on their Dookie album. The Used had one, and the whole song was wanting um, a quesadilla. I'm not even joking. <laughs> the way that like most would do it would the last song on the album would be like 20 minutes long, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like a it you know, 20 minute song technically, but really it was just like you dead would, space. Yeah, it was like you would play a 2 minutes like a normal 2 minute song just like this. They play 2 minutes of I don't care about you by Fear, mm-hmm. right? And then it's just extended silence. Yeah. Until it reaches the end when it's uh, the hidden song. Right. So the Spaghetti Incident has a hidden song. Oh. And it sounds like this. There's a time for living. Time keeps on flying. Think you're loving, baby. And all you're doing is crying. Can you feel those Look at your game, girl. Look at your game, girl. All right, before I just talk about what this song is, can you tell me what you think of Look at Your Game, Girl? I like it. It's very Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> it's an acoustic jam. It's, it is quite nice. It's, it's a pretty little song. What, what, what would you say if I told you this was the most controversial song on the album? I would believe it. <laughs> Any guesses why? Because it's not rock or punk? No, that had nothing to do with it. Oh, because um, it's about a, a gamer girl, and girls aren't allowed to play games? Mm-mm. What is it? Okay. <laughs> Am I going to be upset? No. Look at Your Game Girl was originally written and recorded by failed musician and convicted murderer Charles Manson. First recorded in 1968, later released as part of his 1970 album, Lie, the Love and Terror Cult. This is a Charlie Manson song. Yeah. That's why it was controversial. Okay, and that's why it was hidden. (laughs) Um, The song was included on the Spaghetti Incident upon Axl Rose's demand, despite protests from his bandmates. Rose, along with Dizzy Reed, who played the drums, are the only members of Guns N' Roses to perform on the track, while the acoustic guitar was played by a studio musician named Carlos Boy. <laughs> Boy! Boy! And the track was kept secret, including not being on advanced tapes sent to reviewers. It was a complete surprise. Oh. Oh. Yep. Oh. So let me go ahead and play the Charles Manson version. I don't know if I want that <laughs> on our podcast. Half of the band is going to protest. What are you going to do, Axel? He's going to play it. 
The time keeps on flying Think you're loving, baby And all you're doing is crying Can you feel Ah, those feelings real Look at your game, girl All right, so um, I have a few, I like, a few, like, quotes about look at your game girl which is to most historians they consider it charles manson's best song yeah it's a good song <laughs> i wanted to know why he was like what he was why what is the reason he is a failed artist besides the fact that he's so he <laughs> he was in and out of prison for for his entire life uh, like charles, okay. charles manson like lived a rough life like got even it. before the manson murders like he was in and out of jail got it got it his entire life on one of his stints outside of jail he traveled to california because he wanted to become a musician and he was like he had like this otherworldly like charisma about him Mm -hmm. where like people would just like hang out with him and like be mesmerized by him so he made friends with one of the members of the beach boys oh and this beach boys member helped him get a recording deal and helped him record these like a bunch of demos Mm -hmm. in hopes that he would become a musician. Right. And I guess it just didn't work out because one, he's a weirdo. Yeah. And I, I guess to him, it was just like, I guess I could just make, make, you know, I guess I could just live a better life, uh, tricking young women and young men to live with me on a farm and take advantage of them. I mean, let's just be honest. It's a blessing. It didn't make up because then he'd be a weirdo with power and charisma. Yeah. We have enough of those in the world. Right. So yeah. Uh, Charles Man- uh, Old Music said, look at your game girl embodies Manson's fundamental approach to influencing young women by, t- by targeting their socially imposed hangups and implying his way is better and more liberating. Because, like, this is a neg song. This song is, is all about negging women. Like, l- l- look at your game girl. Like, basically telling this woman, the you know, the speaker of the song is telling the woman, like, look at, don't, don't judge me. Look at you. You're crazy. You're the crazy one. Oh, it's a gaslighting song. Gaslighting song. Okay, fun. And you know, in hindsight, like knowing who Charles Manson was, like people look at him like it's kind of like this weird window into his psyche, right? <laughs> Yeek. Yeah. So lyrics like, "Can you feel? Are those feelings real? Look at your game, girl. Like, are you sure you're thinking? You know, are or are you just playing?" <sighs> What a mad delusion living in that confusion. Frustration and doubt. Could you ever live without the game? It's like, I don't, it's, it's a next song. Yeah. Okay. But it's got a nice voice. He does. It, it, it is, it is a quite pretty song and removed from the awful things that Charles Manson did. Um, it is a nice little song, but it caused so much of a stir. Yeah. I'm assuming they didn't do this on tour. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think they've ever played this song live ever. Yeah. Uh, let me, let me go ahead and get that started again. Sad, sad game. Mad game. Axl Rose also caught flack for wearing Charles Manson t-shirts while on tour. He didn't play the song, but he wore the shirt. <laughs> Why? He, why? I, I assume why? he was just trying to be provocative. That oh, was it. Okay. Like, we're we're the most dangerous band in the world. We need to keep that image up. Let's just wear Charles Manson t-shirts. Like, and look, I don't know, provocative and evil or whatever. Uh, be the enemy of the press. They want to make us the enemy. Let's just lean into it. That's a dumb thing to stand on, though. There are a lot of things that can make you, like, more evocative or, like, 
seeming like bad guys, bad rather than like promoting literal murder. Yeah, and and slash like I feel bad for some of the members who had to like either defend themselves after this because it really was like a, an Axel Rose decision. Yeah, slash has gone on the record and said. The song was, quote, done with naive and innocent black humor on our part. Mm. So, it, like, even he knew it was tasteless at the time. Yeah. And just... Axel included something that most people couldn't defend at the end here. He whispers the words, thanks, Chaz. So you couldn't even argue, I didn't really know it was about Charles Manson, or I I, I, I had no idea. what, what yeah. the, It was like, no, 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 you thanked Charles Manson for the song at the end. Yeah. Yeah. No. Bad taste. Yeah. Bad look. <laughs> there are just some things that you can do without, you know, like, like wear an electric chair on a shirt. Not a swastika. Like, you know, there's yeah. a difference. You're right. going to get a, uh, you're going to get some bad pop regardless. Yeah. Um, but why are you being stupid? I agree. And especially like, I'm like thinking back, right? Like the Manson murders had in 69, right? This was just over 30 years. Like it was probably it, like close to within the lifetimes of these guys, right? Um, they were either babies at the time or whatever, but still like. There were people alive who witnessed this horrible yeah. tragedy, you know? Yeah. Um, and he's just, I'm like, I, I can understand, like, people being very much outraged by this. Right. Yeah. It's like wearing a shirt with a Unabomber today. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make sense. I get what he was trying to do, but you're, he was at this point, you said, like, about 30? Yeah. This was something a young, dumb teenager would do. Yeah. Not a grown man. And there are, like, things that I, like, teenagers do in like the media that I'm like, that was dumb, but your for frontal cortex is not completely formed. So we're going to wait a couple of years and then ask you about that to see if you've grown. Yeah. Right. Like, because yeah. I'm just, but you're no. Yeah. Okay. I feel like every time we do a guns and roses album, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And at the end of it, we talk about freaking Axl Rose. And I'm just like, no, we're not giving him any of our money. If you're going to go to a concert, you're going to sneak in. We're not buying <laughs> tickets for him. We're not you giving him any me money. Out. So he would have to find you first. Do you think him and his big old ego could chase after you? No. <laughs> he couldn't fit through the door. <laughs> Why are you going to get through that door? Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, there's a silver lining to the story, though. Um, they, everybody left him. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's so mean. Spoilers. Oh no! But I mean, <laughs> okay. So dig your own all hole. of all of the royalties for this song being sold that would have gone to Charles Manson, who was in prison at the time, from this cover were assigned to Bartek Frokowski, the son of Manson victim Wojtek Frokowski. So the the money at least went to the victims of the Manson crimes. Good. Ugh. Hey, and that spaghetti incident. That's cool. how the that's how the album ends with a Manson cover. <laughs> That is an incident indeed. Uh, what did you think of the? What did you think of it? Um, it was among their better albums that I've heard. That's that's a take, <laughs> and that's that is to, that is through the course of this conversation that makes sense. I feel like whatever it is they're doing musically appeals to you. Yes. And there's some great stuff on here. Buick McCain is such a cool song, and I I like both the Guns N' Roses version and the T Rex version. Mm -hmm. Hair of the Dog is awesome. There's a bunch of really fun, cool punk songs on here. 
it is a pretty good album. I don't think it it it, it is among the weakest GNR albums in their entire in catalog, their catalog, in my opinion. Would I recommend it to anybody but a hardcore Guns N' Roses fan? I don't think so. Would you? Um, no, because like you wouldn't really get the feel for Guns N' Roses. You would just like I like even you. I I would recommend like maybe give it a once through, and if you really like one of the songs, go look at the original artist like you did, and yeah. you went to Triceratops, and you're like, I really like them. And I'm like T Rex. T Rex. <laughs> Sorry. And then I'm thinking like. If I was to send like a, the Stooges cover or the the Fear cover to my friend who likes punk, he's probably going to say this is not as good as the original. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, and I'm not going to fight you on that. I totally get it. If you're a punk fan, some of these songs aren't going to appeal to you as a punk fan, right? Because there's too much Guns and Roses in it, right? There's but, too much roses. <laughs> but it's st- like none of the songs are bad, in my opinion. Like except the ones. Well, that you know what I mean. Like <laughs> yeah. Of the songs I enjoy, which are most of them, they're not bad songs. Right, right, right. They're not. They're not bad production wise. They're not bad like musician wise. All the guys are like on the top of their game, singing musicians. It's just like I don't know. It's just like not. It, it's it's not like a super strong recommend for me. That's fair. But how did the general public view this album? The Spaghetti Incident debuted at number four on the Billboard 200, selling 190 thousand albums in its first week. Uh, th- these were significantly lower than previous Guns N' Roses albums. That, I mean, because like GNR, GNR were on the top of the world just a few years ago. Mm. Um, the album received a lukewarm reception. All Music said that, quote, As punk albums go, The Spaghetti Incident lacks righteous anger and rage. As Guns N' Roses albums go, it's a complete delight, returning to the ferocious hard-rocking days of Appetite for Destruction. And I guess it is a return to form for Guns N' Roses as compared to things like November Rain and Estranged and Civil War, which were like big ballads. Right. Um, it is more stripped down, has more attitude, and hard rock. Uh, most criticism toward the album was directed at the inclusion of Look at Your Game Girl, which, which many saw as poor taste. Very. Law enforcement, advocacy groups, and families of the Manson victims all spoke out against the song. <sighs> Uh, in that same All Music review, uh, they said, quote, The tact on Charles Manson's song leaves a bad aftertaste, but not because of the song itself. The inclusion of the song seems like a publicity-seeking stunt, a way to increase their sales while trying to regain their street credibility. Mm. And as the spaghetti incident proves, they didn't need to stoop so low. <laughs> and it's not even a they, it's a he. Right. And Ultimate Classic Rock uh, Magazine deemed the cover the single worst song of the band's career, dismissing (laughs) it as a, quote, forced attempt to underscore their most dangerous band in the world reputation. Well, you heard it from the the critic's mouth. Yep. You're you're being real extra. (laughs) And where did Guns N' Roses go from here? Home. (laughs) They all went home for a while. (laughs) Well, no, no, they, some some of these guys continued working. Even right. Axel continued working. He just didn't release anything. Oh, that's true. So, spoilers, we'll talk about Guns N' Roses again, but not for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> um, so let's talk about where all of the guys went from here. Though Guns N' Roses were in the studio sporadically from 1993 to 1994, and despite claims that an album's worth of material was already completed, the Spaghetti Incident would be the band's last studio album for 15 years. Oof. Is it because they finally broke up? 
Yes. <laughs> the band only released one more song with the Spaghetti lineup, a 1994 cover of the Rolling Stones' Sympathy for the Devil for the film Interview with the Vampire. Oh. Shout out to Lestat, was his name? Yes. Shout out to Tom Cruise. Uh, meanwhile, members carried on with side projects. Um, rhythm guitarist Gilby Clark was abruptly fired from the band by Axel in 1995. Since leaving the band, he has released six solo albums and played with reality show rock band Rockstar Supernova. <laughs> that was like a VH1 making the band style <laughs> reality show. The 90s was the time. No, no, no. This was in the 2000s. That I watched it on VH1. Was it, be- was it before 2003? It was, it was after. Okay, well then. The 2000s were a time. Uh, following disputes over rights ownership to the Guns N' Roses name, guitarist Slash left the band in 1996, um, including the release of one solo record in 2010. He has helmed a few bands since, including Slash's Snake Pit and Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. <laughs> right. He's been keeping busy. Yeah. He, he released a book, too. Oh. Very popular bestseller. My friend Derek had that. We go read it? Uh, I've heard bits of it. It's 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 pretty good. Like Is it, it just like a, a biography, autobiography. Yeah. yeah, autobiography. Drummer Matt Sorum was fired in 1997 following disputes with Slash's replacement, Paul Tobias. Um, he has since released two solo albums, performed as a guest drummer on several projects, and released an instructional video called "Drum Licks and Tricks" from the Rock and Roll Jungle. <laughs> uh, he has also since reconciled with Axel. So they're good oh, now. cool. You know, you can be friends with people and not work, be able to work with them. Right. <laughs> and then that is literally what's happened. Yeah. I mean, are they both off of drugs? I think so. I, I hope so. I that hope is, yeah. also makes it easier to be friends yeah. with people. Also in 1997, bassist Duff McKagan left the band after becoming frustrated with the lack of output, leaving Axel as the only classic mem- member of Guns N' Roses left. McKagan has since recorded three parentheses, and only released two solo albums, performed with a handful of supergroups, and formed the rock band Loaded. Cool. Yep. Um, In 2002, Slash, Matt Sorum, and Duff McKagan teamed up with Stone Temple Pilots vocalist Scott Weiland and Sonic Youth guitarist Dave Kushner to form the supergroup Velvet Revolver. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, Velvet Revolver was kind of like the spiritual successor to Guns N' Roses. Um, the the music was a little different. It was more two thousands, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's still really good. There's, they released two albums and like it's a really really good stuff on there. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm a big fan of Velvet Revolver. Um, in 2012, Slash, Duff McKagan, Matt Sorum, Gilby Clark, and Steven Adler, who was their original drummer, reunited and performed at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This was back. This, the band was inducted that year, so oh, okay. they all reunited to play some GNR tunes. That makes sense. Live on stage. Nice. Um, because Axel declined to appear at the ceremony, slash, collaborati- Mi- slash collaborator Miles Kennedy stepped in to sing. Cool. Thanks, Miles. And in 2016, Slash and McKagan rejoined Guns N' Roses in a full-time capacity, and they're all in the studio right now. Supposedly making something. They, I, 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 it's like every couple of months I see a Google story that says, Guns N' Roses says album is coming along smoothly. No, I've not see- with that perfectionist at the helm. I've been seeing those news stories for 10 years. <laughs> Over 10 years. I refuse to get excited. Yeah, I was like, I believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. And that is Guns N' Roses, and that is the Spaghetti Incident. Yeah. And uh, Spaghetti. yeah. Spaghetti. I think with that, we're going to go ahead and just close this segment out and take a break. Cool, I deserve a break. <laughs> Any closing thoughts on Spaghetti Incident? 
Will you rethink it? The spaghetti incident that we can do? No. All right, we're going to close out with the end of Hair of the Dog, um, which I think is the strongest song on the album. Also, there's going to be a little secret at the end, a little cover of a Beatles tune right at the end there. So with that, we'll see you on the other side with Jess's album, 1993. Summer's chunkiest rock and roll feast with some of their fave covers. Songs by the Six Pistols, Iggy Pop, Nazareth, and heaps more. So why not make a meal of it and stage dive into the spaghetti incident? It'll grab you by the meatballs. back we never went anywhere <laughs> grooving and moving to uh, the sultry tones of who tony braxton i should ask you who because you're the one who has the most I- issue trying to figure out who she is when she comes up on the radio i didn't know who tony braxton was but yeah that is tony braxton let's let me introduce it the proper way it's released july 13th 1993 the debut album of one of the highest selling female r&b artists of his in history that is tony braxton by Tony Braxton. <laughs> All right, tell me about Tony Braxton. Her name's Tony. Her surname's Braxton. She is one of the highest. <laughs> <laughs> where did you, where did you first hear Tony Braxton? Because I knew nothing <clears throat> about Tony Braxton before we listened to it for this show. I'm going to say MTV. I'm, this this album is definitely not the first uh, Tony Braxton song that uh, I've ever heard. The first Tony Braxton song that I ever heard, or the one that I like, think of is. Um, Ooh, wow. I Don't Want Your Man is the name. That's not that the, he wasn't man enough for me is the name of the song. Mm. Um, and that is the song that I um, connect with Tony the most. And I've MTV music videos, that song, and then a different song, which actually I don't think that's sung by her. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, just I remember you said, oh, my album's Tony Braxton. And I was like, nothing. Who's that? Who that? That's fine. <laughs> But now, now I know who she is, and like and you know I know way more, even more than I do, because uh, you do research. For uh, this. Yeah, but not just that. Like when I when we hear her on the radio, you you ask me, is this a man, woman, or Tony Braxton? And I was like, that's Tony Braxton. <laughs> I can recognize her husky voice. <laughs> she has a very unique she does tone. 
She does. And yeah. it's not even, even it's not, in this it's, earlier it, stuff, you don't hear it as much. It's like she like leans into it later. Yeah, it's, it's, it, she still has a very pretty voice. It's yeah. just a very unique voice. Mm. Deep voice. Yes. Uh, but yep, that is Tony, and I have some history to get into. Let's go, baby. She, she's got such a interesting story. It literally is a rags to riches story. Give it to me. Um, yeah, and then back to back to rags again. But then back to riches again. <sighs> okay, just a roller coaster of rags yes. and money. It's a family story too. All right, Tony Michelle Braxton was born October seventh, nineteen sixty-seven. And her name's actually Tony. It's not like Antonia. Just Tony. All right. That's what Wikipedia says. She's born in. Severn, Maryland. Her parents were both Methodist pastors. And young Tony sang in several church choirs along with her sisters, Tracy, Tawanda, Trina, and Tamar. Okay. Yep, so they were all choir girls. Lots of teas. Yep, and uh, from what I understand, her and her sisters would like tour as a choir group. You that's know, so cool. like, I, I, that's the thing. I don't know too much about like historically black churches, but like, you know, do they have like touring gospel groups that like, Go from town to town. You can and have, yeah, like Methodist praise churches. groups. Yeah, you have like praise groups, especially with young, um, younger singers that can go around. You don't necessarily like, oh, they're going to be singing here next Sunday. Sometimes they do, but it's like for events. And I think that's what they did. Yes. Yeah. Um, in the late '80s, Braxton was attending university to become a music teacher. I guess she she always wanted to be a, a famous singer, but like you know, by the time she's you know, <clears throat> having to go to college. She's, She's like, like, can't put money on the table with that. Yeah, exactly. Then, in a chance encounter, songwriter William E. Petaway Jr., who wrote the Millie Vanilli song, Girl, You Know It's Time, okay. allegedly overheard Braxton singing to herself at an Annapolis gas station. I guess, like, the way he put it, he did, an, he did a dubious interview in the, in the 2000s where he said, I overheard her singing. I thought she had it, and I said, hey, do you want to record your, or, you know, do you want to, I gave her a shot, basically. Right. Um, Braxton refutes the specifics on the story. She claims that Petaway simply recognized her at the gas station from a local performance. But in any case, she, quote, took a chance and accepted Petaway's invitation to audition for him. I hope she took some friends. I don't know, man. One, kids, I mean, sing at gas stations. You might be uh, found, 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 discovered. discovered. Two, don't go nowhere without at least two people that you know will help you out of trouble. Right. But I was like, man, that's that that's crazy. Right. She literally was discovered at a gas station. Yeah. She tells that story. She said it's real. Um, Braxton recorded some demos with Petaway and with singer-producer Ernesto Phillips, who produced a single called, quote, Good Life with all of the Braxton sisters. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Tony brought her sisters in and they all sang a song called Good Life. Um, Phillips saw the potential for a Jackson 5 type female group, the Braxton 5. Mm, the Braxton Hicks? Don't do that. <laughs> um, off the promise of good life, the Braxton signed with Arista Records in 1989 and released the single in 1990. Uh, the song was not a huge hit, so the mm. group was dropped from Arista shortly thereafter. Well. One failure and they were out. I feel like we had another issue with Arisa earlier. Wasn't that with uh, um, Anita? Anita? Mm-hmm. Arisa. Yep. Arisa. Um, however, Good Life did catch the eye of record executive, uh, record executives Antonio L.A. Reed and record producer Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, uh, who formed a fledgling label as part of Arista. L.A. and Babyface thus invited the Braxton to audition for their new label, LaFace Records. Okay. Yeah. 
Is it the babyface? The babyface. Got it. <laughs> L.A. and babyface, I will, from this point forward, be referring to them. Okay. Um, though impressed by the whole group, the producers, in the end, decided only to sign Tony. Oof. Which... I'm getting some bodyguard vibes. <laughs> which, one, made her very guilty. Yeah. Because they were supposed to all do this together. Right. And she took it. Yeah. So I guess the large age difference between the sisters and the fact that L.A. and Babyface had just signed female group TLC were cited as reasons for not signing all five sisters. Mm. They already had an all-female group. Well. Yep. Um, Tony's first solo recordings, one being a duet with Babyface called Give You My Heart, were both top 40 hits on the Billboard charts, and LaFace Records immediately began producing Tony's debut album. Uh, that, quick. Yep. Rags, like I said... Rags the Rich's story. Like, right. It's not like she was in rags. But you know. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but two riches. I was like, yeah, it's a wild story. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we got picked up. Then we got dropped. Then I got picked up. Yeah. We'll see where the story went from there after we talk about some songs here. But yeah, let's jump into Tony Braxton by Tony Braxton. Okay, kids. I just, before we jump in, want to say... um <laughs> The, the structure of how we're going to look at these songs today is going to be a little different. We're going to look at them as a story. That being said, I don't want to say that, you know, any of the negative or positive things that we're saying about these songs are about Tony Braxton. So we're going to say we're going to be talking about a character. I've named that character Rebecca. <laughs> See our 1993 movies from last week. I, uh, I will say... Tony Braxton didn't write any of these songs. I, I'm so. sure she did. I didn't like check in and I was like, I feel like she didn't like, she wouldn't have written all of these songs specifically because like how they like, how we're about to stitch them together. Okay, it sounds so crazy. There's one song that we will talk about where she was a co-writer on the song. That makes sense. But may, one, fine. All, all four. That would be like, Tony, are you okay? <laughs> so we're not talking about Tony. We're talking about Rebecca. Rebecca, the speaker of all the songs. Because that is interesting. Because I always talk about like the structure of an album is important. Right? right. An album needs to tell a story musically, maybe lyrically. Right. You know, it doesn't need to be a concept album with a story, like a rock opera. But sometimes the way the songs are structured tell a certain story. Right. And for the most part, this album is structured really well, where the songs do tell a coherent story if you decide to put those things together. Yes. And that's what we've done. <laughs> coherent. <laughs> a loose story. Though. I mean, it tells a story. So we opened with the like we opened this segment with the first song on the album, which was called Another Sad Love Song. It was one of the big hits from the album. Right. We're not gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about the second song on the album, which was arguably the best, the biggest hit of the album, which is called Breathe again. Breathe again. She jumps right into it. She just yeah. gets and the harmonizing, the the hip hop beats. This is the most modern sounding of all of the songs on the album. Mm, it is it, it is very contemporary R&B, a little bit of New Jack Swing, but mostly just that like boys to men like R&B sound. <laughs> like, right, you know right. what I mean? Like just like pretty harmonizing. Yeah, Tony does a great job on this track, right? Like and it's and there's a reason why it's like the one of the biggest hits. Like her the harmonies and the melodies that she chooses with the music like meld so well. Here's her her very distinctive voice. Yeah, about the way things used to 
We're both like rocking. And she, the, and she, kid, you, I know you're listening to this and you're rocking it as well. You're just like, yeah, bob that head. With that deep, she's shoulders. got that deep voice where she's yeah. like, she she's sincere. Like that's the thing I like. I like about her vo- like her deep, warm voice is how sincere she is. With yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And it's so, something welcoming about it. It is. It's very welcoming. It's like I I don't I've never heard seen a woman who can hit a bass, but I believe Tony Raxon can get that bass right. right. It's such a, a soothing song, I think. Um, but also, like, we didn't listen to the first song uh, here together with you kids, but we obviously listened to it. But it's a pretty slow album. <laughs> it's very just, yeah, yeah, I don't know, it, smooth and just kind of like. Yeah, it which is, but it oddly doesn't necessarily detract in the way that I felt like Anita Baker's did, where it was just like boring yeah yeah i so i don't know maybe it's about there's something about the quality of her voice that makes it like less boring there are some songs that like meld into another we were listening we're like wait is this a new song but like i'm sure la and babyface's producing also helped to give it more of like a i don't know exciting sound like yeah not exciting and like fast and energetic but kind of just like an engaging, engaging. Mm-hmm. yeah so i mean it's a it's a good song there's a reason why it gets the most <laughs> Radio play yeah. out of um, most of the other, like, sad love song gets played. Another sad love song gets played and a couple other songs get played. But this is, like, peak. <laughs> so tell me, why did you want to talk about this song? Because I know lyrically something about it jumped out to you. Okay, so we're going to stop talking about Tony for a moment. And we're going to talk about Rebecca. Rebecca! The song is problematic. <laughs> Rebecca is problematic. So we just start off, right? We open with the chorus. If I never feel your arms or your tender kiss or hear you love me, um, if we never make love again, here's the lines that are probably like, please understand if our love ends, I promise you, I promise you that I shall never breathe again. Let's listen to that. Getaway is exactly what you should do. I my only note for this specific thing is um, threats. Do not stay in this relationship, kids. Um, she is threatening her man. Say, if you don't stay with me, I will kill myself. That is. Is she serious? Is she being hyperbolic? You be the judge. Regardless. 5150 that lady and get out like (laughs) no not okay not Not okay okay. it's not okay like if somebody wants to get out of a relationship for whatever reasons even if it makes you sad do not try to hold them there by threatening your life that my friend like it kid if you are feeling that you need to talk to someone you need to talk to someone who is not your significant other you're far too wrapped up in them your life needs to mean more than just them uh, especially if it's making one or both of you unhappy. That is the plug that I'm going to do. Becca. I was, I, I, yeah, Rebecca, I don't think you need to place your value in your significant other to that extreme. Exactly. It, it, it's not worth it. Invest in yourself, not in that. Eat a cookie. <laughs> or have a carrot. Go, go. I don't know. Go on a jog. 
in a run. Just, feel feel good about yourself. Go on a Create. roller coaster. Yeah, do something. And I, I, I know this kind of sounds like we're like, <laughs> we're, being, we're being like reductive. But seriously, I'm not trying to be reductive. This is not okay. This is not okay. Let me just a little bit farther down in the song. Uh, after the second, uh, just before the next verse. There's two parts, right? So, and I can't stop caring about the apple of my eye and I can't stop doing without the center of my life. I put, okay, red flags. What is the center of your, mm, I feel like we need to have multiple centers <laughs> to be perfectly honest. We shouldn't have one. Fine. Then the next part, the end of that, this stanza is, and I know I can't pretend that I won't die if you decide you won't see me again. Super red flags. I got one too. There's another one. It says, I can't get you out of my mind. God knows how hard I've tried. And if you walk right out of my life, God knows I'd surely die. Yep. I have that too. I put, have you tried therapy? That's my note. Like, I can't get you out of my mind. God knows I've tried. Have you tried therapy? Have you tried? Let me, hmm, no, 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 no. Everyone in the situation bad. There's, uh, no, I can't stop doing without for I would surely fall apart and I can't get you out of my mind because I know I can't deny it. And I'm like, <clears throat> this is not okay, Rebecca. Rebecca, you need to breathe again. Rebecca, you need therapy. Rebecca, where are your friends? <laughs> I'm like, part of me, like, again, I'm, I'm just me being devil's advocate, but I'm like, for like some love songs, right? There's, there's a tradition, a love song to be fatalistic, right? Mm -hmm. Be so hyperbolic where it's like, this is a matter of life and death. Like, I will love you to death, right? Right. It's like, if if you, if, if I, you are my life. If I lose you, I lose my life, right? I'm just going to die. There's nothing to live for if I don't have you. And I'm like, part of, that's the thing, again, in, in, in certain, like, musical traditions, that's the way it is. Right. It's, it's like... Romeo and Juliet. Th that is the most romantic feeling you could possibly have. Is, it's dumb. <laughs> sorry. And that you can say it's dumb, and that's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not a healthy... It's not healthy. There you go. That's the better. That's the better. It's not healthy. I'm not calling you dumb. I'm just saying you need to be exposed to more. Yeah. Um, so I have a few notes here about the structure of the song, if you're done with lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, I don't um, want to say the other things that I had to say about this. <laughs> I'll uh, let the song play out as, as I talk about it. But um, when you listen to the chorus of this song, you can actually hear um, some harmonizing, right? Like oh, I, I thought you were going to say some desperation. Because I think that <laughs> going back to Tony, Tony puts a good amount of desperation to characterize Rebecca. T Tony's a good actor with her voice. Yes. But when the chorus hits, as I mentioned, like that modern R&B sound is to harmonize a lot. Right. right? Here, here we go. You can hear, you, you hear the, the ladies behind her sitting, yeah. like harmonizing a little bit like that. Apparently, so and the desperation <laughs> um, for Tony's first U.S. tour, her music videos and promotional appearances, her sisters were in place as the backup singers. Ooh. And part of me is like, why didn't you just bring in your sisters to record with you in the studio? Right. I assume she just has studio singers behind her, you know, but I, I don't know. Maybe they were a little salty at the time and they needed a, a, a bit. I mean, because, you know, where I'm just like, I want to help you out, but I need to kind of like deal with my hurt. <laughs> yeah. 
But either way, so it's like Tony, you know, at least got to bring her sisters out on stage with her. Yeah. Out on tour to sing this song specifically. So it's kind of a Braxton's song. Yeah. And then also, now, there was the, the, this early 90s period, there was a, a, a another booming genre that was, you know, entering the mainstream. And that was uh, Tejano music. <laughs> Reggaeton. Oh, right, Latin right. pop. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm talking Salinas. <laughs> Right? We all love our Selena. There is a Spanish language version of Breathe Again. Oh. Sung by Tony Braxton. Oh. Would you like to sing it? Or would you like to hear it? I would like to hear it. I would not like to sing it. I was unprepared for that. That's her. That's her. That's that's Tony, She's right? She's doing real good. Here it comes. Respira. Respira. <laughs> so I thought that was a fun little novelty to, to dig up fun. there. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it, it totally tracks with, like, Latin music was in yeah. the mainstream yeah. for a little while there. Yeah. Yeah. Bring back the Latin in the mainstream, guys. Hey, Bad Bunny, he's popular. Don't bring him back. <laughs> Is he popular? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. He just won a Grammy. Oh. Uh, do the Grammys count for anything anymore? He's popular. He's, he's one of the biggest recording <laughs> That was really rude. Honestly, Brandon. if you, like, artists, they like Grammys, like, it's a, an award that they get for their hard work, so I'm not going to, like, no, the I, Grammys, I, The only reason I know about Bad Bunny is free, because of WWE. WrestleMania. <laughs> but apparently he's popular. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Want to move on? Sure. All right, next song on the album. It's called Love Affair. Listen to that sax, man. <laughs> so this also has kind of like a modern f- feel to it, right? Kind of a 90s, I don't know, hip-hop R&B yeah, kind of yeah, feel yeah. to it. But it also has that, that saxophone. Mm-hmm. We talked about the brass <laughs> in our 92 <laughs> episode. Right. Um, this this song's got it all in term musically. <laughs> well, let's put everything in there. But why, why are we talking about it as far as lyrics go? Oh, because let us continue with the story of Rebecca. Becca, Becca, Becca. <laughs> this song, um, before we go into minute details, is about uh, Rebecca met a man who's not the man she's dating. Uh, and she is telling She's not him, in a relationship with him. She's, she, they're like, they're edging. Yeah. She, but she's talking about, no, she's talking about this guy who she's not just met. They have some kind of acquaintance. She's talking to an acquaintance who is a man and is like, oh, yeah, though, we can't do anything because I'm seeing someone. I have a boyfriend. So I'm just not the kind of person who's going to have an affair. Um, but, she, but like, I think the the, inher- or the the implied part of the song, the implicit part of the song is that she. She thinks she would, though. She's she like, would tap She's that. like flirting with it. Yeah. yeah, she's like she's still being 
flirtatious and like like keeping the options open, but she's also like playing with him and teasing him and be like, no, 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 I'm with my man. I am faithful to my man. Oh gosh, the song, honestly, Rebecca. Um, also, if we have any kids out there listening to this whose name is Rebecca, you know we're not talking about you. But this, like, there are some lines in this. Like, it starts off saying, "I feel before we go any further, I think I should let you know." And this line implies that we've already gone somewhere. We're yeah. somewhere. They danced. They've already, danced at the club. They've 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 done. They've they, had. They, they went out for coffee. Or they something. yeah. They went out for like uh, a lunch date, and it turned into dinner. Like whatever it is, something that could be. They are not at the beginning. As they are at least two steps in, if not more. And she's like, uh, before we go any further, I think I should let you know that. I have a boyfriend. Why is this the time that you're telling me and not something else? Not another time. I would hate to do anything to hurt him. And I was like, honey, maybe you shouldn't have like emotionally cheated on him already. Yeah. (laughs) If you, if you're like, if you are trying to put a, put the brakes on a, whatever this is, this friendship that's gotten a little too intimate. I feel like at that point you might've already emotionally cheated on your boyfriend. Um, yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, and there are like, there's so many like, things that um i don't know there are like other lines in here that i'm like okay but this this is what are you saying if you're saying this this means like my dude i don't know she's uh rebecca um is just super sus she's just super sus let's just (laughs) um talk about some of the things that she says in here right do we care i'm sorry i'm just jumping right in um She's saying that uh, at one point she's just kind of like, I the of course is I don't want a love employer. I ain't never been the kind to cheat because that ain't me. Don't want a love affair. See, I ain't down with OPP. Oh wait, no. Be- wait before you say that, we learned we we had to look it up. We didn't know what OPP meant. Being down with OPP, she says it. We're like, what does that mean? I ain't down with OPP. And we were like, what does that mean? And your cousin told us, it's like other people's... People. Other, Yeah, other people's... People. Whatever P is to you. <laughs> we're going to say Other people. people's people. Yes. <laughs> Another person's person. Yeah, and so it's like, okay, that's fine, but you're doing a lot. And then it, it, she does say, it doesn't matter if we're being discreet. I just like, hmmed that. Like... Like, okay, sure. Then later, she's like... Uh, so she says, now you're starting to look real good to me. I, I wrote this line And I down say, too. hmm, to that following line. But I think it's best you go before we go too far. And my just, I've been like, okay, but to say this means you've already gone some distance, Rebecca. I literally have that in all caps. This is about the time I decided that we're calling this person Rebecca because I needed to be able to yell at someone. And it's just kind of like, okay, so we've gone from like the song that's about uh if you leave me i will never be able to breathe i like i will kill myself and then like flirting so much with this other person that says that you're like i mean i would like you or you're uh, looking real good you're looking really good gotta i gotta try to resist this temptation because i don't want anyone to get hurt and then this really weird line i just even if i was your girl i still wouldn't give myself to another and i was like what kind bs assurance is that like what does that mean what does that mean and in general the whole song is just like okay yeah but you were like legitimately toying with this man like you were legitimately like oh i'm just gonna keep you on tap because the whole song feels very much like i'm seeing someone but if that ever falls through 
A. But I want you to know I'm loyal, so I'm not going to cheat. But you're if it backup. ever falls through, you're my plan B, baby. And then the last, like, one of the last lines of the song is like, it says, can't believe that you would say you still uh, would have respect in me in the morning when I just couldn't respect myself, right? And <clears throat> that whole thing, the I, my note. So it's not about your relationship as much as it's about your pride. So is, I'm not, she's not going to cheat because she loves her boyfriend and she doesn't want to. She just doesn't want to be looked at like a thought. Mm. That's, that's, that's the crooks. Rebecca, <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca, um, stop. So as far as, so I'm going to, I'm going to pivot from Rebecca to Tony Braxton. For All right. A let's talk to Tony. I so, like Tony. Um, the lyric, that's the thing. She did not write the song. These are lyrics written by somebody else um, for her to sing. Right. But Correct. knowing that she was a church, she was a choir girl, right? She mm-hmm. was a she was a the, the, a preacher's daughter. Got it. These uh, many of these songs, this song included, are very sensual. Yeah, right? dripping with sensuality, mm-hmm. right? It's like this like super deep sexiness, right? I think if they did not market this album as this is the preacher's daughter going bad, right? <laughs> Breaking bad. Then missed they missed opportunity because <laughs> like, I think for a lot of people that would have been, I don't know, like a turn on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would have been very like attractive. Like, Oh wow. Yeah. Like she's very sensual. This is the preacher's daughter. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is her breaking free, breaking loose. Oh dear. <laughs> and I think that, that's my impression of it. Like the lyrics are very sensual. Yeah. And like, knowing that it comes from this this woman who grew up very religious is I think exploitive or it's done like in a marketed kind of way. Yeah, I mean I could see that. Yeah. I'm thinking about the many preachers kids that we know though and I'm just like mm. <laughs> sometimes sometimes they are the most uh they're the wildest bunch. They are <laughs> indeed. Um but yeah, this was I will say one of the lyrics I thought was really weird, and this is not on a Rebecca stance, I guess, technically. This is more on a whoever wrote it. Um, It's in the first verse. Don't want to cheat on him. Never been the kind of girl who'd be unfair in relationships. Don't want to lead you on. Okay, sure. Okay, real quick, Rebecca. You're doing that. (laughs) Rebecca, you are. But back to Tony. Um, I never want to be the kind of girl who'd be unfair in relationships. I thought unfair was a weird word choice. Like what it, what is this being like, if we're talking about cheating and being infidel, like infidelity, if we're talking about infidelity, (laughs) not to being an infidel, that's a different thing completely. Um, what is it being in unfair? Like, oh man, like an, I said it's a closed relationship. Like an open relationship? Like that, it's that not, is fair? It, yeah, if it's an open relationship, then I guess it's fair. You'd have to have that conversation and be like, hey, are we down with OPP? <laughs> man. It's a thing, but uh, I just feel like it was a weird lyric. Like, yeah. And that's just at a writing standpoint. That's not talking about like Rebecca or anything. It's just, eh, it's a weird lyric. Yeah. Never be unfair in relationships. Let's let's be honest. We're all a little unfair in relationships. I'm unfair to you all the time. It's true. <laughs> I'll be like, wash the dishes. And you're like, I literally vacuum the whole house right now. And I'm like, that's fair. <laughs> wash the dishes anyway. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> let, me, let me go ahead and, and close this song out with the excellent um, sax solo. <laughs> Here it comes. Ooh. 
That's a soprano sax right there. Anyway, what, what do you got to say? Also on a writing level and not about like a Rebecca thing or just like a life thing. Um, I... <sighs> There's something about this song where it's just kind of like, oh, hey, I don't want to, like, this is not where Rebecca's going with it at all. But, like, this idea is like, oh, I'm not going to, like, date you or do anything with you because I already am, I'm already in a relationship. I hate that. As, like, and it, not that, like, yes, if you're in a relationship, don't do that. But I, like, real talk have been uh, out about in the world and somebody's hitting on me. And it does, sometimes you're just like, oh, I'm in a relationship. I'm married. I'm dating. That means nothing. Like, it's just like oh they don't need to even this line like it like she says it doesn't matter if we're being discreet because that's something someone has said like well your boyfriend doesn't have to know like things like that when the real thing is like it's not that i'm in a relationship that is one of the reasons that i'm not i'm saying no because i'm not interested yeah like the fact that you have to like have these things sorry this listening to the song and reading the lyrics was one that was one of those things that i've like i hate that like can't i just say no because i don't want it like oh don't don't you want to get a drink? No. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to go buy my kombucha now. Like, yep. Ugh. Anyway. That is love affair. And that is, that is the state of Rebecca's relationship. She's, she loves this man fatalistically, right? She, she will die for him, but also, but also she has a plan B like, you know, skirt the line. <laughs> <laughs> skirt, skirt. Um, where does she go from here? Let's talk about what the song love should have brought you home. That opening feels very country. So when we first, when we listened to this most recently to decide what songs we want to talk about, I said that this opening musically sounded like something from... Anita Baker. Yeah. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Do you want to know why it sounds like something oh. that Anita Baker would write or sing? Because Love Should Have Brought You Home was a song that Ellie and Babyface had written for... Anita Baker. Anita Baker. <laughs> that makes sense. You've got a good ear, babe. Tony Braxton stepped in to sing for the track when Baker backed out due to pregnancy. Oh. She'd just been married a few years before. That's we true. talked about that in 1988. <laughs> and now she's pregnant. Oh. Oh. The song was featured in the soundtrack for the 1992 romantic comedy film Boomerang. Eddie Murphy. Oh. Uh, the title of the song is a direct line from, Bo- from Boomerang. In the film, Halle Berry's character, Angela Lewis, angrily tells her man, Marcus Graham, played by Eddie Murphy, after he spent the night with another woman. Ooh. She says, love should have brought your butt home last night. <laughs> it's a strong line. Yeah. Strong line. Strong song? Uh, <laughs> this is where the, the the album like stops getting kind of loses its modern sounds in favor of like just kind of a very generic 80s pop 80s uh or 80s adult contemporary sound it goes from being more like en vogue and more like anita baker yeah i agree yeah but i mean th- in this song right tony is talking about rebecca is talking about <laughs> <laughs> rebecca okay in the song um Rebecca, whom loves her man till death, and whom definitely wouldn't cheat even though she's tempted, is devastated because, much like Halle Berry, love did not bring him home. He spent the night with another woman. How does she know this? 
I don't know. I'm not very sure. <laughs> like, Actually, you know what? I do know how she knows it. We'll wait until the next song to find oh, out how we That's how she, how knows. she knows. You're right. <laughs> so it's kind of a mystery, but for like the first two minutes of the song, aren't the lyrics sort of like, she doesn't know where he's at? Like, yeah. where, where have you been? What's going on? Right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, wait, what are you talking about? It's it's not even, it's, it's like you're in the middle of a fight, right? It's like, should I even listen? Should I even try? Uh, will I be hearing the same old lines? It doesn't matter. Like, you're in the middle of a fight. You're just kind of like, okay, but what are we fighting about? Like, what's happening? And yeah. you don't get that until you hit the first uh, chorus. Right, and that chorus sounds like this. Should have been with me. And, and it's clear that he was not home last night. He didn't call. And she was worried about him. And she now is convinced that she, he was with another woman. Yep. Yep. Uh, this man that she was ready to die for. Yeah. How, broke her heart. How dare he not be willing to do the same? There's like a line in this that says, because her whole relationship was is built on, a, on one lie. And I was like, what's that lie? Like, because when I read that the first time, I was just like, wait, are you the other woman? Like because Ooh. because it's just kind of like if it was built on one lie, there's like what is that? What is that lie? It's it, but the when you listen to the song, it's not built on a lie. It's just you know what, he did lie. <laughs> you know what that lie is? It's the lie that he told her, "I will always be faithful to you." Yeah, and that's then a it's lie. revealed to be a lie because he wasn't. And and she she's probably thinking, "I was faithful to you. I had plenty of people asking me out." In fact, I, I got very close to dating those men, but Matter I told fact, them no. I still have their numbers, the numbers for their pagers. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, I've, I've, I've been in relationships that were built on one lie. <laughs> oh, it's not this one? No, not, this, right. not this one. Uh, a past relationship. Uh, like, the first conversation I had with this person, I lied about my own romantic experiences to make myself sound more... Uh, <laughs> experienced. Experienced. And I was, like, I was like, don't do that, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start a relationship out by lying. Don't do Honesty it. Honesty is the key to a successful relationship. Agreed. Yeah, it, it, will, it will end in utter failure, just like Rebecca's here. <laughs> I will say there's a line in the song I really like. I was just like, oh, okay, that's fine. It says, now I smell the coffee, boy. I got, <laughs> I the, wa- I got a wake up call. I was like, okay. that was That's a dad joke. <laughs> that's great. I smell the coffee, boy. I got a wake up call. Like, boo. <laughs> Boo! But also, yeah. He also said, "And it left the message that you just don't care at all." Yeah, that line was that line was a little bit too much for me. I was gonna say, like, there were a few songs on this album, this one included, that kind of struck a chord in like failed relationships in my life. You know, <laughs> there's a song all about ghosting. Yeah, there is. It, we almost chose that one because it's kind of similar. It's called Seven Whole Days, and it's like about. Her like pursuit of a man who just won't call her back, and yeah, she doesn't know where he went. It's been seven whole days and seven whole nights, and I haven't heard from you. That's 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 the beat too, right there. <laughs> Something <laughs> like not. that. It's not. But like, I was like, yeah, I've ghosted people before too. I'm not proud of it, but I have. <laughs> it's true. Occasionally, he ghosts me, and I'll be like. <laughs> respond to this decks in 10 minutes or you're in trouble it was like so in a way it's like all of these songs are just like yeah that's young stupid love yeah 
Um, and it's like, hopefully people grow out of those bad habits. Hopefully. We but know yeah, some the, people don't, but... T- Tony Braxton's whole album is a so, uh, an album of bad romantic habits that people need to grow out of. Yeah. I was like, I'm, upset. It's, I'm sorry that this is the self-titled album. This should not have been the self-titled album. Uh, yeah. The self-titled album should be an album that you have done most of the writing on. It's like the one that... that this is you. Yeah. But I think for this one, it's like, we're debuting Tony Braxton. Yeah. Like, I totally get it. Yeah. Should have been like Tony Braxton's out and about. (laughs) Single and ready to mingle. In and sad. (laughs) Before we move on to the next song, I just want to point out one line that says, uh, you can't expect me to believe she doesn't mean anything. We'll find out she after this break. It's not a break. We're just going to go to the next song. Who was she? Well, the next song is called Best Friend. You, you, You connect the dots. You put two and two together because they sure did. song is like this is like such an old like this is like an elevator music type it's, song musically it's boring yeah it's it's very this it, this sounded old in 1993 yeah yeah it's not it's not cutting edge at all but lyric lyric wise we we needed to pick it because it, it tied a bow around the whole story of rebecca yes so rebecca found out on the 4th of july that the rumors that she heard were true the stories um, of taboo, if you will, and honestly, I was like, "Girl, girl, you you heard rumors about your man cheating, and you just sussed it out? Like, na na na, na na na. You've got to figure that out immediately." Yep. And who was that woman that he cheated with? Well, let's hear Tony tell us who cheated on Rebecca. <laughs> He cheated on her with her best friend. Her best, best friend, friend Meg. Did. Her best friend Meg. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't given her a name, but Meg it is. Um, because she's big like a whale. <laughs> what? I don't know. Meg, isn't that another word for Moby Dick? No. Okay. I just, I just said Meg. Uh, <laughs> I, like, so some lyrics here that reveal who it was that this man was cheating on. Uh now the love inside my heart is fading. The trust of my man and my best friend betrayed. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's two people she's lost. Yeah. She lost the love of her man, who she at one point said she was going to die for. Yep. And two, the lo- her best friend, who she trusted apparently. Yeah. You've, like, she you probably know, you- confided and said, hey, I was, I was going to cheat on my, my – I wasn't going to cheat on my boyfriend. You should be proud of me. Right. And she was like, oh, well, we already, uh, um, you know, even like saying that thing that you were saying, right? Like she, like this man that she was willing to die for a line a little bit later in the song, Rebecca says, I didn't have the strength to live, but I was just too young to die. So she came full circle and was like, you know, this is a, this, this man that I said, I would never be able to live without cheated on me. So you're not the man I thought you were. Yeah. So therefore I will not die for you. <laughs> Which is, I will not die because I've lost you. Yes. Good job. Also, maybe don't be in relationships where you feel like <laughs> yeah. that entrenched and stuff. But yeah, so Rebecca um, found out, like you said, that 
her, the reason that he wasn't home, even though he should have came home, was because he was, what was the line in the last song? Because um, he was with her and uh, her words, you can't expect me to believe that she doesn't mean anything to you because she's my best friend and she meant a lot to me. Mm. So she must have meant a lot to you. Because, right, like we talk about, okay, we talk about a lot about how like, Rodney, you are one of my best friends. Yeah. Which is the reason I married you. But you're one of many, yes. right? Yes. So, like, the idea, right? Like, me and my best friends are pretty similar in a lot of ways, but a lot of different. So it's just kind of like, no, no, man. Like, that's that probably hurts the most. That, it's like, you couldn't have just cheated on me with a complete stranger. Yeah. It had to be my best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like, there's just something so insidious about that. Like, what kind of friendships do you have? Like, do you have to... I know this happens, right? Like, I know that this happens in real life. I'm sorry, kids, if you've experienced this. This is not okay. But just... I could never imagine doing that to you or to any of my best friends. Yep. It blows my mind. <laughs> so just, I get the line of, like, the betrayal, even though it's not done well in the song. It was just, like, the trust of my man and my best friend betrayed, like... Yeah, girl, I don't know. That's that's a hard one. I need to, like, go away and be with my peoples. Like, who do you trust? Who do you trust? <laughs> the, I found a, a lyric that connected it to Love Affair for me, right? Where it's like, I should have thought about the consequences than you and my best friend. And it's like, if I had only known that you were going to cheat on me with her, I would have cheated on you with him. <laughs> that's fair. So it wouldn't hurt. So I talked about it being fair. So... <laughs> Maybe it would hurt less. She's got a fallback. Oh, man. <laughs> Ooh. It's a whole sordid mess. Yep. Rebecca. Rebecca. That is not the end of Rebecca's story, though. Like, so that's the second to last song on the album, which is Best Friend. The last song in the album is actually a reprise of Breathe Again. It's just the chorus. Mm-hmm. But I, I like, want to put, like, a character moment to Breathe Again reprise for a second. So let me go ahead and hit the play on that. You got some like tribal beats. <laughs> Also, this sounds like Lion King. <laughs> okay. Hasavania. Nope. Sorry. Um, anyway, um, as far as Rebecca's story goes, like, I can imagine her, like, sh- her, her man's cheated on her with her best friend. Uh, she's feeling lost and depressed, and she's lost two best friends in her life, right? Yeah. And, like, she's just thinking back to what she told her man at the start of their relationship. It's like, I love you so much. That if I lost you, I'd die, you know? Mm-hmm. Now she's thinking and remembering those words with this new context. And she's either, like, sobbing and being like, I'm so stupid to say these things. <laughs> or I can imagine her sitting, like, on her kitchen floor, burning pictures of them. And just, like, this song is, like, her looking back to, you know, the Breathe Again lyrics mm-hmm. and just like, I was so stupid. 
That's interesting. I feel like it's a little bit like breathe is almost like how she's singing it way less desperately makes me feel like the word could be substitute for trust. And I will never trust a trust again. Yeah, As she's, she's burning like, these pictures. She's, he's ruined every relationship we'll ever have again. Yeah. That, that's fair. That's unfair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think like for that reason, I really, I thought listening to the album from start to finish was a lot more fun yeah. than most of your albums so far, just because we could like, connect these dots and make a story. Because we it. found Rebecca, like we were playing Where's Waldo. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying any of that was intentional, but I think the al- that just goes to show the album was structured well enough where it could be done that way. Right. And that's Tony Braxton's Tony Braxton. Would you recommend it? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's that's not- like background music. I feel like that's what I'm saying a lot in these years, but I'm like, it's not a bad album. It's not bad. It's not yeah. bad. It's middling. It's very middling. And- uh, um. Definitely listen to it for some uh, Rebecca bashing. <laughs> there is a there is a bit of filler on there. Yeah, like, there was it. There's a song called Candlelight or something. Oh my god! It's just like a song about how sexy it is to like make, make out in candlelight. It's, or something. it's like everything sexier with candlelight. So um, you reading a book, make it sexy. Light a candle. You making some dinner, light some candles. <laughs> you, no, you serving um, papers to somebody, light some candles. It's not that. It's not that dumb, but it is a dumb song. That's like it's like useless it's like a it's yeah. like a meaningless song it's very mm, yeah it's like empty romantic sentiments <laughs> yeah i mean like i would recommend it as much as i would recommend the guns and roses song that we listen to so yeah i guess so um it it, it it's fine like yeah it, it's really not that bad like me i wouldn't not recommend it. yeah i, would I wouldn't not. say avoid this album at all, all, no. at all costs or anything yeah. but yeah it's like to me it's like eh, it's fine it's fine it's fine but what did the world think of tony braxton's debut album what did they think? Tony Braxton debuted at number 36 on the Billboard 200 and spent two non-consecutive weeks atop the chart, as well as three non-consecutive weeks atop the top R&B hip-hop albums chart. So nice. it was number one on several occasions. The whole album? Yes. Cool. Uh, the album spawned three top 10 singles, and it has been certified eight times platinum in the U.S. and has sold over 10 million copies worldwide. Go, Tony. Go, Tony. Um, the success of the album also helped Tony's sisters get a record deal in 1993. Hey! Oh, the same year. Yeah. Okay. So the album, so that's album dropped. Didn't... It was huge. Tony pulled in some favors, I assume, and got the Braxtons their record deal. Nice. So there are Braxt. I, there is at least one Braxtons album out there <laughs> with her sisters. A reception for the album was mixed, with most critics praising va- uh, Braxton's vocal abilities. She's a good singer. She is a good singer. Um, People Magazine said, quote, when Braxton slides into her lower register, she echoes Anita Baker. And when she skips around the higher notes, there's also a hit of Whitney Houston. I felt like that was a good quote because we've talked about both of those. That is a good quote, but I don't know that I agree with it. It's like, she's there's she's, n- she's not somebody that I, there are occasions when I was like, is this Whitney Houston or is this someone else? And I, that's never a Tony Braxton thing. <laughs> I hear, I hear way more Anita Baker than I do Whitney Houston. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Even uh, the breathe again. I guess you can help. Uh, they went on to say the influences are there, but Tony Braxton is most definitely her own woman. Nice. On this sophisticated, stylish, and soulful album, she slates her case. <laughs> um, the Chicago Tribune noted that, quote, the disc loses steam around the midpoint, <laughs> which I yeah. agree with. And Rolling Stone said, quote, there's not a poet in the house among LaFace's family of writer producers. 
thrown some shade on mm, the lyrics. That's, I mean, that's fair. There's only one lyric that we were like, mm, I like that. <laughs> there's, there's, it's about coffee. <laughs> no, that's not a good lyric. It's a bad lyric. It's a great lyric. That's the lyric I thought of when I was like, there's not a poet in the house. <laughs> no, I love that lyric. Best lyric. Um, the album earned Tony Braxton three Grammy Awards, including Best New Artist and Best Female R&B Vocal Performance, twice. Hey. Two years in a row. And uh, that, unfortunately, is the end of our quest with Tony Braxton. Uh, we will not be re- listening to her material again, but uh, let's see where she went from here. Okay. You tell me if any songs or albums jump out to you as Tony Braxton. I don't know. Good stuff that you've heard, I guess. Tony Braxton followed up her debut album with Secrets in 1996, which saw even greater success. She landed two number one hits, won two more Grammy Awards, and sold another 8 million records. Ayy... Um, however, in 1998, Braxton sued both Arista and LaFace Records and filed for bankruptcy after selling all her possessions to pay for the lawsuit. Oh, what did she sue for? She was allegedly unhappy with the royalties she had received under her current deal. I guess she was expecting more money than what she received. Mm, I guess her, don't her, all artists. Her, deal, her deal when she first signed was not a good one. Yeah. And when she like showed back up from like an extensive world tour, she was handed a royalty check and she was like, what is this? Yeah. She was like, this is pennies. Yeah. Uh, the, case, the, the case was settled in 1999 with Braxton receiving over $20 million and getting all of her stuff back. Good. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, she joined the cast of the Beauty and the Beast uh, Broadway show. Oh, nice. As? Want to guess what character she played? Potts. Belle. Really? Go, Tony! She was the first and only black woman to ever play the character on Broadway. That's why I was like, I, I was like, she has the voice to be the lead, but they wouldn't do that. They did! Get it, Tony! Um, after getting back on her feet, uh, she released the album The Heat in 2000, another hit, and began an acting career. Her acting debut was in the 2001 comedy film Kingdom Come. Mm. I don't know Kingdom Come. I don't either. I don't watch comedy flicks. <laughs> Uh, throughout the 2000s, Braxton released four more studio albums, continued to perform in film and on Broadway, and launched a residency in Vegas. Oh, okay. It was like one of the biggest Vegas shows at the time, I especially bet. for a female R&B singer. Also, it was, from what I understand, a big failure. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Nobody came? I, I don't, I, I was like reading stories about it. I think she had to drop out for whatever reason. And like she ended up like having to pay Vegas back a bunch of money for that, not, and that, that, that led to another bankruptcy. Ooh, yeah, yikes! Not, not good. Um, in 2011, Tony Braxton, her sisters, and her mother signed with WeTV for a reality show called Braxton, Braxton. Fam- Family Values. Yeah, which aired its seventh season just a year ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, this was. Do they have a COVID season? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the late. The late 2000s, early 2010s was like the golden age for like family reality shows with celebrities. Like I Mm -hmm. can think of like Gene Simmons had one. Like Ozzy Osbourne had one in the early 2000s. But um, There's a lot all over the place. Yeah. I've never seen it. Me neither. I don't care. No Uh, offense. Apparently it's done. Like apparently it's good. Like it's got good. It's had good ratings. Yeah. uh, But all like reality like i want to know what a celebrity's life is like is like that and i'm just kind of like not for me not i just don't me. i don't care no offense <laughs> um a spin-off called tamar and vince ran for five seasons between 2012 and 2017 oh okay so it's like tony braxton is as big a reality show star as she is a singer now huh 
Oh, since 2010, Braxton has released three more studio albums, including a 2015 collaboration with Babyface. Oh, uh, so they, uh... they they reconciled. Nice. Uh, for which she won her most recent Grammy. Nice. Um, in 2016, Lifetime premiered the biopic Tony Braxton Unbreak My Heart, based on her memoir of the same Unbreak name, which earned mixed reviews and was a rating success. Okay. <laughs> there is a Tony Braxton biopic out there. Somewhere. If you've seen the Tony Braxton movie, let us know. How'd you like it? And Tony Braxton has been cited as an influence by various artists such as Beyonce, Kelly Clarkson, uh, Leela James, Kesha Cole, and Tiana Taylor. I know who some of those people are. <laughs> <laughs> I know who all but one of those people. And that's Tony Braxton. What, what did Rebecca go on to do? <laughs> Find a stable relationship <laughs> and therapy? <laughs> She's happily married and, her own, and owns her own beauty salon. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. She owns a Starbucks. <laughs> she owns a Starbucks franchise. She uh, does Mary Kay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway, as we inch close to the end of the show here, uh, there's something we need to do. Yes. And that is look at something that's just as important to a musical album as the music, and that is the album cover. Mm-hmm. So I've looked at the album covers for Guns N' Roses' the Spaghetti Incident and Tony Braxton's debut album. And I want you to describe them to me. So we're going to start out with the spaghetti incident. It's gross. <laughs> the it is, album it is quite cover gross. of the spaghetti incident looks like this. <laughs> it's it's so gloopy. It's very gloopy. <laughs> it looks it's just spaghetti in diluted red sauce it feels very much like spaghettios it, except they're not it's O's. a close-up of spaghetti uh and then just guns and roses in some some plain um like times new Roman font <laughs> and the spaghetti incident question mark oh yeah so as the the correct way to title the spaghetti incident is with quotes and a question mark yes if it's not written that way it's not written correctly the <laughs> band is very adamant about that <laughs> quotations and a question mark yeah it's not good. It's not good. It's not a good It outcome. makes me feel ungood on the inside place. <laughs> yes. I will never eat spaghetti again. And I will never eat spaghetti, spaghetti again. again. Spaghetti again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tell us about Tony Braxton's. Um, Tony Braxton is uh, Tony against a white wall wearing a high-waisted blue denim jeans with three belts a white tank, and a leather jacket that is off of her shoulders with some very nice um, natural-looking makeup. Her lashes are on fleek, as the kids said 10 years ago, (laughs) Uh, with her name emboldened, Tony in red, uh, Tony Braxton in red, and I really just like how the uh, J, the I, and the X are really The the font's the best part of that album cover. The font is the best part. Like, she looks like a fierce woman. Yes. Like, uh, it, but but the, the, the font my, is real nice. The font's my favorite part. That's true. I just realized this is partially how I do my signature, and I was like, oh, I never realized that. <laughs> she does it too. That's probably why I like it so much. Yeah. I just like the, yeah. So it's, like, it's a classy, bold cover. Yes. She, she, it, I mean, hey, if, if you're like scoping the record store and you're like, oh, it's like, you know, new releases, and you're like, see this Tony Braxton cover cover, it's like, oh, she's. Like I, I imagine, like if you're like a dude who's into R and B, it's like, oh, that's a pretty woman. I will listen to that album or something. Yeah, not too bad. Which one's better? Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton's is way better. Ha! Not even a joke. Not, not even. even. Spaghetti incident. Get your act together. <laughs> I hope we never have to do that again. Uh, me too. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, kids, for that uh, if Rod left, left it in. <laughs> and uh, that takes us to the end of the show. I mean, I think... Oh, I guess we got we got to decide which one's better, like in general, right? Which album's better? I I get okay. So I didn't re-listen to the whole album for Guns and Roses, but the songs that we played here, I preferred them over Rebecca's <laughs> story. Musically, for sure. I feel yeah. like the music is way better on Guns N' Roses now. Even though we had a lot of praise for the way the album was structured, and Tony has a nice voice. Yeah, she does. I just think it the other one's more interesting. Unfortunately. Uh, and I, I love Tony Braxton, so it's, it's sad, but I would have to give it to Guns N' Roses. I will also give it to Guns N' Roses. I think despite the fact that this is Guns N' Roses, like in my opinion, one of their weaker albums, I do think it's still better than Tony Braxton's album. Yeah. You know, and I think that's just the, I think that's just the nature of like pop music at the time is like. For, definitely for you. Like you just, it was all very samey. You didn't really like it. You, you get albums that are full of like one or two hits and then like, you know, a handful of songs are like, that was all right. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But then there's also another handful of songs. You're just like forgettable. Yeah. Uh, just useless filler. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately. So Guns N' Roses. Guns takes, N' Roses. Takes it. You're doing better and better in this uh, five year span before we get to the mid 90s. Yeah, man. And then when we get to the mid 90s, the 2000s, you will not be winning. Uh, well, we'll, let, we'll, we'll see. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, let's talk about what we could have been listening to. Yeah, runners up. So we could have been listening to, for you, Rod, instead of Guns N' Roses. Um, oh, before you say that, I, 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 kind of, I kind of remember some of them. This was not a good year for music in Rod's <laughs> mind. The the albums, the album choices were not very good. Mm. Um, all of my favorite grunge acts had already released the their their big album of '91, and they were all working on a new one. And so I'm like sitting here going, like, what is what is this? What are the what so is so? Go ahead. Slump? What do we got? We have Jordan Jordan Rudis's "Listen." That was so close to being the winner. It is the debut album of the keyboard player who eventually joined Dream Theater. Mm-hmm. And I only have that album because I'm a big Dream Theater fan and I have albums that, you know, they're, they're solo projects right. or whatever. This album is not good. It is Jordan Rudis. Like, he is a great piano player. He unfortunately, like, in later solo albums, he hires people to sing for him. On this album, he sings himself. <laughs> He's not, not a strong he, singer. He's not a strong singer. Uh, the songs are pretty forgettable. There's mm. like some like there's there's a few fun piano um, like progressive songs, but like it's it's really not that good or <laughs> interesting. And I almost thought we had to listen to it because I had thought, oh my gosh, do I have all of these songs on my phone? Have I listened to them more than once? There is one song on the album that I did not care to like or listen to, <laughs> and that one song kept us from listening to Jordan Rudis' album. <laughs> Uh, um, the next one, Aerosmith's Get a Grip. Which is an, it's like, this Aerosmith song has like four pretty okay songs on it. Mm. And like, other than that, it's like, that's it? <laughs> four from 12? That's a failing grade. Yeah. And then Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dreams. That's the best one of the bunch. And <laughs> I, I probably would have rather listened to Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> like, I, I, I like Smashing Pumpkins a lot. They're like they were pioneers of that 90s alternative and like the indie rock scene mm. that like got really popular in the 2000s. So I would have lo- way I would have much rather listened to Smashing Pumpkins. 
Uh, okay. Um, and as for me, as you know, um, guys, kids, we're we're not gonna get into my taste until late nineties, mid and to early two thousands. So everything else is I listen to at most two songs on the album. What are those um, songs? So Tony Braxton won because there were three songs, two or three songs that I heard. Mm-hmm. Um it could have been Nirvana in Ur- Utero. I'm not sure what song I've heard off of that album. But I assume "Come as You Are." Yes, I have heard that song. Uh, Heart shaped box. No, I've never heard of that song. Uh, other ones. <laughs> nope. So it's on the list because I've heard one song. <laughs> I'm like, it's the other Nirvana album. <laughs> <laughs> and a Salt and Pepper's "Very Necessary." I I can't tell you what the song Sh- is. Probably Shoop. Pro- definitely Shoop. If Shoop is off of and this wh- album, and what a man, maybe one of definitely if it's off this. I don't know what's on that album, but I've definitely listened to those songs, and that's it. I don't listen to music, kids. I just don't. Uh, anything here is because my mom or my dad made me, <laughs> or my cousins. Sometimes cousins. Will Smith was my cousin's fault. Did we already do Will Smith? We talked about his TV show. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> But that is it for runners-ups. So I guess we can close with uh, telling the folks where they can find us outside of this. Okay, so if you enjoy the show, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Made Show. That is mm-hmm. at Media Made Show on both platforms. We like to post polls. You can tell us which album you thought was better. And tell tell us what your runners-up were, or like what what your album from 1993 was. And you may or may not see our very own spaghetti incident. You might see a spaghetti incident. <laughs> Um, you can also do us some favors. You can tell a friend about the show. Um, if you enjoy the show and you think that somebody in your life might enjoy it, let them know. Yeah. Um, and you can give us reviews on your podcast platform of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Um, even if you're li- listening to it on the website on uh, Podbean, so give us a comment. Give us a five-star review. Tell us how much you like the show. We appreciate yeah. you. Um, as far as my personal stuff, you can follow me personally on Twitter at RodTheMaster. Um, I also write for a uh, video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. We write all about the Legend of Zelda Nintendo series. If you like that, check that out. And I host a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We follow the careers and characters of our favorite wrestlers. At this time, we were probably just starting a series on WCW's Fake Sting. (laughs) (laughs) If you are curious about the New World Order's Fake Sting, we're the place to to check it we're, we're the place to find out about it <laughs> what do you got um if you are looking for me i have a youtube where i do whatever i want when i have the energy to post stuff because sometimes i just shoot a bunch of videos and then i just don't have the energy to edit them but um by the time this goes up i will probably have just finished uh, a short story collection called the collectors and check that out to see how that ended if you haven't already. And I'm probably starting something new up because, you know, it's fun <laughs> when it's not stressful. But uh, you can find me on YouTube, Taming Tales on YouTube. And yeah, you, you yeah, mm-hmm, uh, yeah, kid, mm-hmm, yeah, kids, yeah, 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 yeah. That is the end of the show. I'm going to let you decide what song would you like to end this, the show with? What Tony Braxton song would you like to end it with? Like of the ones we've already listened to? Yeah. Just of, oh, okay. of all of all of the, the songs from this album. Oh, okay. Mm, I think I want to listen to the Candle song. <laughs> she's, she's chosen a stinker. All right, so we're going to close out this show with the song Candlelight off of Tony Braxton's album. Hey. Um, yeah. 
Let the sensuality wash over you. <laughs> uh, yep, that is the show. We appreciate you guys, and we will see you next time with our TV of 1993. Hey, kids. Light a candle. Make it sexy. <laughs> make it sexy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>